Good morning. This is Wake Up Carolina. July 27, 843-661-0937 is our number. Braves, Phillies, anybody care to give an update from last night? Braves Real? win. Braves yeah, win. Yeah, the Braves won pretty handily, didn't they? Yeah. The Mets beat the Yankees, so the Braves pick up no games. The Yankees are um, they're in a tailspin, bit of a tailspin, four and six in their last ten games. Don't have the best record in baseball any longer. I think the Dodgers now have the best record in all of baseball. That's been the kind of rule of thumb for the past 10 years. Yeah. The Dodgers have the best record uh, in baseball. Hey, is there any way we can pit people against one another any more than we did yesterday? I want to go back to something we touched on yesterday because I went back and um, I kind of self-corrected. I want to make sure I totally understand some of the dynamic we're discussing or were discussing. Um, Jim, leave it to Jim to start some trouble here. When we don't have trouble making Tim, we got trouble making Jim. So Jim calls in and basically says, we're talking about the vaccine. And um, I mean, I, I guess Fauci could um, say today that the vaccine didn't stop infection, didn't stop um, carrying, didn't stop spreading, but it didn't turn into Spider-Man. I mean, that's probably, I guess that's the new threshold of success oh, or man. failure. Um, the vaccine, you know, was it Charles yesterday that called and said he believes some of his health complications yep. are a result or derived from him taking the vaccine. Um, I reported on a rumor. I mean, I just repeated a rumor. I'm not saying I believe the rumor or don't believe uh, the rumor, but um, I've heard there's a certain um, quasi-celebrity that passed away recently that died uh, from complications of getting the vaccine. Not COVID, but getting uh, the vaccine. I think Jim argued, um, you know, the baby boomers goof that up more than you know, the millennials or the generation Xers or um, the Zoomers. I think there's a new catchphrase now in oh. generational speak called the Zoomers. Um, so so did or did not the Boomers inherit a rich, dynamic country and have gradually bankrupted the most powerful and preeminent superpower on the planet? I mean, let's just ask that candidly. Now, now Boomers are 46 through 64. Hey, that, the question is coming from a boomer, right? Correct. I mean, technically, I'm a boomer. I don't feel like a boomer, but I guess I am because um, I don't remember in the, uh, the the anti-war demonstrations, Woodstock. I mean, I was too young. I mean, I remember Vietnam as a young, young child. Um, I remember watching TV with my mom and dad, deeply concerned about that would be eventually I'd die in a jungle in, in Vietnam. I mean, I, I was convinced of that because it's all I knew. Um, I mean, I didn't have any understanding of the world, probably still don't have much of an understanding of the world. Um, but the boomers such as myself are very good at talking about the entitled, spoiled, um, hopelessly glued to their, you know, um, electronic device, uh, you know, purple hair tattoos from one end to the other. I mean, we're real good about being judgmental about the difference in, in these societies, um, millennial hate. Is something I've read a little bit about. Um, speaking of that, this is interesting to me. So, um, and I want to play into this because I think there's an interesting debate to be had or a conversation. Maybe not a debate as much as a, I a heard, conversation. I haven't heard millennial hate. That's a new one to me. Well, I mean, I, I mean I, I've read some of these social. Uh, the the boomer, such as yours truly, will argue that the country's going to hell in a handbasket, not because of anything we've done. But look at this craziness these kids are doing. I mean, look at their, you know, they're not getting married. Uh, they're, they're, they're not holding a job. They don't want to go I've, to work. I've chatter about the work ethic, yeah. Well, okay, fair enough. But, but once again, let's ask this question. Um, I want to make sure I ask it the way it needs to be asked. Have the boomers, excuse me, 
did baby boomers born between 1946-1964 did the boomers inherit a rich dynamic country and have they gradually bankrupted the country i mean look at the financial affairs of america i mean there, there's no doubt that we were not in deep debt we were on the gold standard there were a lot of things to to kind of like about where we were headed and um and i could argue take it off the gold standard you know the um the flippant monetary policy that we adopted. How many millennials did that? How many Zoomers did that? Um, but but once again, we we tend to look at is there is is the Zoomers have the Zoomers done things similar to Woodstock and some of the anti-war, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I mean, it, there's a lot that goes into the the Boomers, but right now we're the ones being very judgmental about this. Uh, generation to come or the generation in place now beginning to assume some levels of leadership um is america screwed up I mean, that's the first question we got to answer collectively is america screwed up i think america is is deeply screwed up and i think we're in uh dramatic decline I mean, that's me I, I don't speak for every boomer i don't profess to speak for every boomer but personally when i look at the dominant narrative i listen i pay attention i consume i participate but the dominant data Remember, we had that debate yesterday. Speaking of that, Robert Cahaley will be with us at 8.05 this morning. Oh, Freehold, we're to call Robert at 8.06. I'll give you his number here in just a few moments. But uh, Cahaley's on, uh, will be with us at 8.05, 8.06-ish. When do we get back from the 8 o'clock hard break, top of the hour, Robert will be with us until about 8.25 or so. So we'll have an extended session of him. Um, actually, first time ever. Um, somebody from Trafalgar sent me a, um, a text asking, what are the topics? I said, you sound like a candidate. What do you mean, what are the <laughs> topics? Well, I mean, we're doing a lot of work right now, and Robert wants to make sure he has prepared material, you know, polling data. A lot of this he knows from memory, but some of this, I mean, he can't recite from memory. But um, but, but let's, let's, let's go here for a second, because yesterday we talked a little bit about, um, and I know the DOJ and the FBI need to be discussed, and we'll get there. I know what Grassley's doing. I mean, you know, but we believe there's a whistleblower, credible source that is um, – that is treating information, disparaging information about the Biden campaign in, in one regard and then the Trump campaign in a very different one. And that's kind of why I wanted Robert to come on today. It just seems to me that we're in campaign mode now. I don't know when it happened. Was it the day after yesterday? I don't know. But it seems to me in the last week or so, a flip is a switch is flipped and Trump is now in campaign mode. Mike Pence, it not, not seems only Trump, to me. I was going to say. Pence made a trip through our area well, I mean, Pence last is, week or two. Pence wrote a book. Uh, the book's release, I think Simon and Schuster announced yesterday, November 15. So that means he'll probably, I mean, he's testing the waters, no question about it. He'll gather data to see what the likelihood or not. The question I have for Robert, if Trump decides to run, is it over? I mean, is there any room for anybody else? Because I would, I would argue that if I'm thinking this about DeSantis, a lot of other people smarter than I in his ear are saying, hey, Ron, if Trump decides to run, get out of the way. I mean, you're 44. Just get out of the way and let him have at it. Um, if Trump decides to run, DeSantis does not run, is it is it over? I mean, is there any uh, primary to be had? Is there any room for anybody other than? Now, I think if Trump were to run, I mean, I saw a poll that had Trump at about 50%, DeSantis at about 25%, and about 25% undecided. I mean, that's the lowest number I've seen for Trump in a Republican primary, but that includes Ron DeSantis. And that convinces me that DeSantis is indeed, you know, the second choice of the Trump voter. Um, 
But I said yesterday, and I'll stand by this comment this morning because a couple of friends were like, please tell me you, you don't believe that because they're just, I mean, they've had enough. You know what I mean? The roller coaster, the, 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 the flamboyant way of which he runs for office. Um, but I mean, I think, I mean, I, this is as elementary as it gets and politics can get real complicated, but very often, um, it, it really reduces itself to the most primitive instincts imaginable. And I think Trump wants revenge and deserves it. I mean, I really do. Revenge. I mean, I I think there, you know, is that good motivation? I don't know. I mean, you know, I can't, I mean, there, there are times in my life I want revenge. There are times in my life I want to settle a score. And I think Trump believes, um, once again, that there's a score that needs to be settled and there's no way Ron DeSantis can settle it. He certainly doesn't believe that Larry Hogan has any interest in settling that score or any of the establishment Republican candidates have an interest in, in settling that score. And Trump just doesn't seem to me to be the kind of person to farm that work out. I mean, it's like, hey, Ron, you run. You've got a better chance of winning than I do, but, but I want you to really settle this score for me. Now, Trump just doesn't seem to be that guy. I mean, if there's a meeting to be had and an abrupt or, or blunt conversation to be had, Trump seems to me more than willing to be involved personally. And, and in the first person involved in that. So um, that's why I want to get Kahaley on to find out where he thinks we are in the presidential process. But also, I'm, I'm beginning to be concerned about a couple of these primary, excuse me, these, um, these Republican nominees in swing states. Uh, they're, they're making some pretty critical mistakes, and the polling shows me that um, maybe they've got to get, I mean, and Walker's, he's got to get his, his running legs back under him, I guess. Um, and in Pennsylvania, Dr. Oz, um, do we believe the polling in Pennsylvania? Do we believe the polling in Georgia? So Robert will be with us at 8.05, and we'll kind of go through a list of um, three or four or five different op- subjects or topics. But the, but the presidential race is the one I'm most interested in because I think it seems to me, I mean, as much as I thought Trump might wait until early next year, and he may still do that because if he announces officially as a candidate for president, there's some things he can't do with Save America. I mean, he's hamstrung a bit. When he officially announces as a candidate, there's $160 or $70 million sitting there that, that he has to be careful about how he, and he's not the kind of guy to be very careful, right? I mean, you accept that. He's not the kind of guy to be you know extremely careful. So, um, so somebody may, you know, somebody asked me yesterday, is there anything that could talk Trump out of running? Uh, could Trump be convinced to be the kingmaker? I, I don't know. I mean, I don't have any idea. I don't know Donald Trump. I mean, I believe his kids are trying to discourage him from running, but I think he believes um, that he has a a score to settle and nobody can settle that score but him. Is revenge a good reason to run for president? Probably not. But people have done a lot of crazy things in the world of American politics. And and I just look at this situation because now we're talking about the DOJ, you know, the FBI potentially trying to um, advantage the Biden campaign at the expense of the Trump campaign um i don't care if you hate trump or not nobody believes he's ever gotten a fair shake with the media uh with the bureaucracies and i just think that he's he you know before he leaves town he's going to make one last attempt to settle that score once and for all now once again i think he's the he's the republican most likely to lose but he's also a republican with a pretty good chance to win so you know we'll find out we'll delve into the data you know, that's kinda... such an interesting observation about the switch being turned on. I didn't think about that till you said it. But obviously, Trump's been making a few appearances at events that he, he hasn't really done over the last few years. You have Mike Pence coming through our area, uh, Nikki Haley dropping those little 
hints around John Hogan is in the conversation. Larry Hogan. Larry Hogan, sorry yeah. about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the Democrat side, you had the discussion out in the open about Biden's fitness to, to run again, even amongst Democrats. There's a little chatter from Hillary over here and some different folks there. So you're right. Like after July 4th, uh, it's like things kind of switched on a little bit. Gavin Newsom running advertising showing up in at the Florida. White House. Yeah, showed up at the White House. When Biden's out of the country. There, there are a lot of things happening now that lead me to believe we're going to soon have a presidential campaign. The presidential campaign will start the day after the midterms. I mean, once we, we decide who controls the Senate, who controls the House, I mean, it's on. I mean, it, it's it's in full-fledged then. And, and I think Pence and, and Trump, I mean, Trump is now not going simply to endorse a candidate. I mean, I think that's done. I mean, he's invested as much as he can in beating Tom Rice and Liz Cheney and, you know, Blake Masters out in Arizona, Kerry Lake out in Arizona. And I just got to believe, and I want to ask Robert about this, is Arizona as critical as I think it is? If Trump goes to Arizona, and, and Blake Masters wins that Senate primary, and Carrie Lake wins the gubernatorial Republican primary, and then let's say one wins and one doesn't. I mean, Arizona's still kind of a swing state. Let's say that um, that Masters wins and Lake loses or vice versa. I still think that that, that puts the fuel in Trump's tank. I mean, you know, I've got to get in this thing. I mean, I can't. And once again, is settling a score, is being, you know, is seeking revenge a sound strategy to become president of the United States, I don't know. Is there any precedent to a person who has been dealt with in the way Trump has and dealt with the other side and the way Trump has dealt uh, with the other side? Don't know the answer to that, but but I just, I, I'm convinced that we're going to find out sooner than later what his intents are. And it seems to me as each day goes by, he's in. I mean, he's running for president and that's good if you're in talk radio that's good for business. Ooh, yeah. I can assure you <laughs> of that. Let's go to the phone. Roger and Coward. Hey, Roger. Good morning, fellas. Got a question for you. I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit here and pretend to be a Democrat. You know, that takes a lot of pretension for me. But if I'm on the Democratic side, how far would I go with an indictment of Trump of some kind? You know, they're always looking at something. Uh, how far do I go to seek some criminal charges against Trump to keep him from running? Because I honestly believe he's he's good, he can he can win the Republican nomination pretty easily, and it looks like he's going to run. Uh, however, he's probably the weakest candidate in the general election. <laughs> you understand what I'm sure saying? Sure, I do. Sure, I do. So, if I'm a Democrat, is it more important for me to ensure that Trump cannot run when he's the easiest candidate to face, or is it more important to me to stay in power? You know, by letting him run, <laughs> overlooking some things that they may come up with, um. And of course, have a better chance to win the general election. <laughs> if I'm looking at it from a from a Democratic standpoint, because I think he's the weakest candidate in the national election, in the general election, he's the strongest candidate in the Republican primary. <laughs> well, I mean, how, how far how, how far do they go here? Yeah, that's interesting. Thank you, Roger. Appreciate that. And Merrick Garland gave about as candidate interview as I've heard him give about you know if the facts lead there then there will be an indictment of Trump on January 6th. The, the point I tried to make yesterday, and this is the most interesting number to me, 
and this is not a Trafalgar number, so I'm not going to pin Robert down with this, but at the beginning of the January 6th hearing, 58% of Americans, excuse me, 62% of Americans believe that Donald Trump, and here's the pollster's word, not mine, largely contributed to the events of January 6th. Now, they didn't say, how many of you believe it was an insurrection? How many believe it was a riot? How many believe it was a protest? No, that's left up to your own volition. You make the determination about what happened January 6th. They're not interested in this poll I saw. They're not asking, hey, do you believe that it was an insurrection on January 6th? How responsible do you believe Donald Trump? It was a single question poll, and the question was, was Donald Trump largely responsible for what happened at the Capitol on January 6th? The number's gone from 62 to 58. Now, that number, may that there may be a higher percentage that believe it was an insurrection. The, uh, right, I don't have any idea. I don't have any data there. Once again, dominant narrative, dominant um, data. And I think we've got to pay a lot more attention to dominant data when it comes to Trump than dominant narrative. The dominant narrative uh, of, of the people who report the news, Trump sucks. I mean, he can't win. Um, Ro- Roger makes an interesting point. If you're a Democrat, do you want him or not? I mean, that's, just, that's what he's asking. You know, if you're a Democrat, do, do you believe Trump is as vulnerable as the dominant narrative has tried to convince you he is? Um, and if so, why are you going to all these efforts to try to make sure he can't run? You're harming him with this, the January well, 6th I mean, they're, they're, committee they, sham. They know there's a chance he wins. Now, I don't know how good a chance that is. And I want to get Robert in here at 805 to kind of, you know, express himself in relation to that. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you're rolling the dice. It's a monumental risk on both sides. Do the Republicans put up a guy as flawed and, and potentially vulnerable as Trump, but, but could win? I mean, he's already shown in 16 he won. A lot of people believe he won in 20, myself included. I mean, I'm on the record. I mean, I think, you know, I don't know what happened, but something doesn't add up there. I mean, I, you know, the big lie. Uh, and see, what, what the media is, what we've allowed the media to do, and this is where I get real frustrated, because you advocate for voting integrity doesn't mean you believe the big lie. I mean, it's, it's like you got to believe the big lie or not. And I think there's a lot of room between election integrity and the big lie. I mean, I don't think every state had that shenanigans going on any more than they normally do. But some of these swing states where Zuckerberg made these tremendous investments, you got to be a fool to not believe they were intended to skew the game. They were intended to create a, a certain outcome. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's real naive to say that Zuckerberg invested a half billion dollars in Pennsylvania, Georgia, Arizona, Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio, to make sure everybody got a fair shake. I mean, that's an absurd thing to believe. Now, once again, I don't know what happened. You don't know what happened. A freehold doesn't know what happened. Our listeners have no idea what happened. We've got opinions. I mean, we, we've all got opinions about what we think may have happened in Fulton County, what we think may have happened in Maricopa County, Arizona. You don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. Trump doesn't know what happened. I mean, he thinks he does because he's that kind of guy. Trump doesn't know what happened in Fulton County. Trump doesn't know what happened in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. But, but I think Roger raises a very interesting point. Are we going to roll the dice? Because it's a big rolling of the dice. I, I just I don't see how he does it. Once again, when the DOJ comes after you, when you hear, you know, if, if Grassley's whistleblower is telling the truth and the FBI and, you know, the FBI and DOJ were in uh, concert or complicit with some of these shenanigans, once again, um, I, I just think Trump's got to, he's got to go after it one more time. I mean, if they screwed me that bad, how do I let DeSantis settle that score for me? If they screwed me that bad, how do I let, you know, how do I trust anybody other than myself? 
Uh, you know, if you want something done, do it yourself. You know the old saying? And this is personal with Trump, but it needs to be personal. It has to be personal. But but despite it being personal and despite Trump having a chance to win, as Roger said, he's probably the most likely Republican to not. That's just kind of where we are. And that me, that's kind of a it's an interesting, interesting situation. Republican voters and the party in general find itself in. Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a minute. 843-661-0937 is our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Carl in the PD. Good morning, Carl. Hey, what's up? Hey, Carl. Hey, Ken. You can hear me okay? Yes, sir. Okay, I've got a question. Now, I'm not even going to make this an attack because you know I'm your friend and we're friends. But what do you have against Trump so bad? I mean, I don't know anybody who is a Trump supporter who's talking about revenge we want we want trump back so that the the country can run right so that things will be better and he knows that that's what we want and but but you're making it like he's just this crazy person that uh, i'm not i'm not not even going to put words in your mouth I just want you to answer. So you don't what think Trump's motivated Trump? by revenge? You don't think, I mean, I, 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 didn't, I didn't talk about what you're motivated by. You don't think Trump's motivated by revenge? I mean, if he had, if he had lost fair and square, it's hard to say whether he'd be doing this or not. But we, it, the thing is, it's not, it's not that he just got beat fair and square. You see what I'm saying? I agree with that. If he got I, I beat, totally if agree he with got that. Beat fair and square. If he got beaten fair and square, and then he was coming back and doing this, I would agree with you that okay, it's just revenge because you know he was just not popular and he you know he couldn't win and he just wants to do. It. There are there have been there have been politicians like that. Mitt, you know, Mitt Romney kind of kind of moves into that into that space to, to me, but this is different. And and I and, and I understand he's got an ego, but I'm I'm to you know is uh, my point is you 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 get on board here and there, and then every ever every chance you get, you say we got we just can't have him because he's C seventy eight, he's old, and then the next thing, well I'll go with him, but he's just he's but I mean but I mean Carl head. is he seventy eight and old? Oh, let me, okay, let me ask you the question that, that, that I asked you about um, Biden the other day. All right, so you said Biden was on two, two full tires in, in two years ago. I thought he was, I mean, that, but I, I don't, I mean, I'm, Rev, okay. says, Rev says he's on one good tire. I think he was on two good tires, you know, okay. when, when the— uh, That's fine. Okay. You are, you are on record as saying that. How many tires was Donald Trump on two years ago? I think Trump's on four tires. How many, how many full tires is he on today? I think he's still on four tires. Okay, well then, why is it that you just can't see him as acceptable? Well, because but, but, no, I see him as very acceptable. I mean, I've never said I don't see him as acceptable, but he's a seventy-eight-year-old guy. That—that's a so truth. I mean, that, that, that's called a classic. Well, I mean, okay, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. I hope I'm in, you know, cognitive the, the cognitive state he is at seventy-eight. And I think a lot of the reason Trump is in good mental shape at seventy-eight, he's a business guy. His brain stays busy. He's had to figure out a way to keep his head above water, keep his keep his bills paid, keep his business afloat, and that takes a a, a certain uh, a certain mental exercise daily that I think is good for the good for the mind, good for the brain, keeps you. But he's still a 78-year-old man. And I think odds are, 
that 78-year-old men have more complications in the next four years than if he were a 64-year-old man. I, I don't think that's critical. I just think that's being realistic. Well, I mean, I, I get that. But we, you, you have people who are in their 80s in not just the House, which you have to go every two years. They're in the 80s in the Senate, which is every six years. The president is every four years. And so I want I want the the four the, the the four more years of Trump. Give me four of his biggest years. Just bring it on because I know he can bring it. And I don't understand why you don't see that. I say he can. I mean, I, I just said a second ago. I don't know that he can farm out. See, I believe he's motivated by revenge. I I think he should be motivated by revenge. In fact, I would be more. I would be seeking revenge more. If I believed I got screwed, then if somebody beat me fair and square. If somebody beats me fair and square, I'm not motivated by revenge. But if I think I got jobbed, you damn right I'm seeking revenge, and I'm not apologizing for it. So it's not that I'm saying revenge is a bad motivation, but but I think it is a central theme to why Trump may run again. He doesn't believe he got a fair shake in 2020. He knows a lot of his voters don't believe that. So, so yeah, revenge will be a part of, you know, motivate. Is we got to settle this score. So you're saying that you, so you're projecting how you would feel if it had happened to you. Yeah, and I mean, I'm making, a, I'm, I'm making an observation that I think Trump. I mean, all I, I don't know Donald Trump. I've not talked to Trump about this. Um, but yeah, I'm making. If I were Trump, I would be motivated by revenge, and I'd be unapologetically motivated by revenge. And, and what I know about Donald Trump makes me believe that's some of his motivation. That's some of why he is, is I mean, it, Trump doesn't believe he got a fair shake. That's obvious. The majority of Trump voters don't believe he got a fair shake. That's obvious. If, if that's the case, then I think revenge, I, I don't think there's a way to run and revenge not be a part of the dynamic or dilemma. I believe Donald Trump did a damn good job running the country. I said it before, and I'll say it again. As much as I loved Reagan, I think Trump was a better president at getting things done that conservatives and Republicans have historically tried to get done. Um, but but he cut both ways, and I think we've got to accept that that as much as he inspires you and me and a lot of Republican voters who are tired of the establishment, tired of w- the way Washington does business, th- there are people who don't like his his brashness, his bombast, his narcissism, um, and I think to to take Trump as all good. It's just, I, I think that's naive. Trump is a mixed bag. I'm, he cuts both I'm ways. You you as, know that. I, I'm not taking him as all good. You know you know how I see that election and what he's doing? When he came in and said, drain the swamp, right? And he came in and started just making reforms and changing things up. This is the same thing. He has to run again. So that what happened in 2020 in that election never happens again. It's not about oh I gotta get I gotta get back at that. So it's not. A, I, I don't even see. I don't even see, even if I were Trump, even if I'm looking at things the way he's looking at them, I would see we can't have this. Forget about you know. Forget about me. We can't have where you have the most popular president ever get the election taken from him by the most. Uh, the, the, the most incompetent person on you know in Washington D.C. That's how I see that, and that's how I would think you know, I would think he would see it, because he has seen everything else that way. You see what I'm saying? That's sure. why I voted for him because he was going to come in and fix you know drain the swamp and fix things that needs to be fixed, 
and you got to, I mean, I'm just, I'm not telling you what to, what to say or, or not say, but you got to get out of this kindergarten mentality that it's all about Trump throwing a temper tantrum. He's trying to, he's trying to change fundamentally what's going on, not just in politics, but society, but he's, he's doing, you know, Washington first, and that has to be fixed. I don't disagree with it. Thank you, Carl. Don't disagree with any of that. The only thing I disagree with Carl on, Carl makes it sound like Trump's doing this for something other than himself. And I don't buy that. I mean, there's not an altruistic bone in Donald Trump's body. I mean, Trump's going to do what Trump wants to do because Trump likes doing what Trump wants to do. And I'm not apologizing. I don't think he should apologize for that. I mean, he's, that, that's who he is. That's in his DNA. Everything he owns has his name on it. I mean, look at what we did. I mean, it's just never we. What? What is it? You know, I, I did this, and I did that, and I did something else, and I, you know, and I, I'm fine with that. I mean, I think there's a, there's a place for people like that. But but I think to to not discuss Trump in his totality is just naive. Everything about Donald Trump is not good. Everything about anybody listening to my voice is not good. And I think you take him in the aggregate. You take him in the collective. Trump did a lot of good things when he was president. I think he was the most effective president of my lifetime. How he got some things done were beyond me. But but he was kind of a political blunt instrument. He was a force of nature. He was not afraid to take on whomever stood in his way. He was not timid. He was not weak-kneed. He was not jelly-legged. He didn't take no for an answer. I mean, he was not Mitt Romney. He was not John McCain. He was not wed, beholden to the way Washington works. That was liberating. That was refreshing. I loved when he said things that made other people cringe. Now, he said a couple of things that made me cringe. The reason I cringed, and I think Carl will appreciate this, the reason I cringed is I thought it gave him a less chance to be effective. I mean, it's not that he offended me. I mean, I grew up in a truck body manufacturing business. Very few things offend me uh, via the spoken word. I mean, I've heard it all. Uh, you know, so, so when Trump said things, it sounded like the, the, the people I grew up around saying things at a bar or at a, at a business. But, but I knew it could potentially diminish or lessen his, his chances of being successful. So, so, so my criticism of Trump is not personal. I mean, it doesn't bother me the way he carried on the, and, and the way he said things bleeding out of our eyes or whatever. I just felt that gave him less of a chance to be effective. And I want the guy to win. I mean, if he decides to run, I want him to win. And so, so, so when I start talking about what he should do or shouldn't do, what I wish he'd say, what I wish he wouldn't say, it's not because I'm offended at all. I'm not bothered at all by what Trump says. I just think it, it lessens the likelihood of him being successful as the American president. I think Carl's right about something. I think, I think Trump does see himself as, I don't want to say the chosen one, that's unfair, but I think Trump sees himself as someone who can genuinely forcefully change the way Washington does business. Maybe the only one. Yeah. I mean, there, That's I, what he thinks. I don't know anybody else. I mean, the, the fall off, I mean, I like DeSantis a lot, and I think a lot of you like DeSantis. But do I believe DeSantis will go in there and kick the door down? No. I think DeSantis will, is anybody home? There's a new sheriff in town. I think Trump just kicks the door down. And I do believe Washington needs a dose of that. So, um, But but I think you, when you look at the political figure that is Donald Trump, You've got to agree, it's quite complicated. I don't think he's a very complicated man. I mean, I really don't. I think Trump is a is a pretty simple man when it comes to masculinity and testosterone and, you know, ego and all these other things that men are guilty of in their natural state. 
But I think Trump's political walk and political career is extremely, extremely complicated. Let's go to the phone. Here's Larry in the PD. Good morning, Larry. Hey, guys. How y'all doing? Hey, Larry. I, one thing about Trump that has always bothered me, and, and boy, Carl's like, look what you started, Carl, and everybody's going to call and complain about Trump. Uh, but if I were to say, if I were to get up on a campaign speech and say, you know what, in six months, I'm coming to Ken Art's house, and I'm kicking his tail, and everybody goes, yeah, that's great, but I just gave you six months to get ready for me. And I've always thought that was his big, his big problem is he was a little too explicit with what he planned to do, and he gave people a lot of time to gear up to oppose him. You know, there, he's missing a little bit of that Sun Tzu art of war kind of, you know, don't let your enemy know what you're thinking kind of thing. And and I do think, like you said, you, you get a mixed bag with this guy. Now, you can trust him. You can pretty much believe he says he's going to try to do something. He's going to try to do it, and he's going to go down swinging if he can't get it done. But But he also kind of telegraphs all of his moves to his enemies, too, which can, you know, get them stirred up and make the – it's a little more contentious, I guess. You know, it's not that he just shows up one day and kicks down their door. He lets everybody in town know the day he's coming. So so that that has always been something I felt like for a guy who's been in business, been to China, been to all these different places, how is it that he doesn't use those skills that he's learned to be successful there to be successful here? Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. Larry, do you want him to run or not? Oh, I definitely do. Okay. That's I don't interesting. I think this world will be any fun if he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, my man. Appreciate it. For the, the entertainment value. Yeah, but but I mean I think we all agree. I mean once again, I, I mean I think that's fairly accurately said. Trump is a simple man when it comes to what, what I call the male qualities. But as a political figure, he's about as complicated as it gets. Take a break. Back in a minute. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. When I say Trump is a simple man, what I'm arguing, Trump isn't. I mean, he's not a Neanderthal. I'm not a Neanderthal. But but I mean, we've talked a lot about men being hardwired, fundamentally different than women. Trump wants power, money, and, and pretty women. I mean, that, in essence, I mean, he's got a supermodel wife. Why? Because that's just a big deal to him. I mean, he's got a lot of money. We think uh, he likes being in charge of a business. Somebody, you know, that so so he's a very. I mean, to me, as a human being, as a man. It's, it's pretty easy to understand him as a political figure and where he lands in the pantheon of political greatness is quite confusing because despite what Carl believes, or do we, I, I don't want to say Carl believes this, but he's a complicated political creature because the, the, the political world he's trying to work in is, is unbelievably resistant to his way of, um, of wanting things done. Let's go to the phone. Mike in Darlington. Good morning, Mike. Oh, uh, good morning. Uh, it's great, uh, uh, great show and great start off as always. But uh, I think you just defined uh, Trump as fitting a, a classical template of uh, the hero, like in Beowulf type of thing, where he kills the monster and then kills the dragon, even if it gets him killed. Uh, that's a. Uh, uh, he's a he's a hero. He's got more courage than anyone else. And he's better than anyone else at fixing things. Um, I I think that's uh, something. And the question is, does he follow the art of the deal? Is this something he can walk away from? Or is he obsessed 
with getting back in there and killing the dragon no matter what because he realized his people have to be uh, defended. See, that's interesting, uh, Mike. Appreciate the call. If you think about, I mean, I've read The Art of the Deal, and a lot of the instruction of The Art of the Deal is to know when to walk away, to know when it's just not a good deal. And I think Trump has to look at this opportunity as a business deal. Um, I, I think he's, uh, I think he's seeking revenge. I don't think he should apologize. I mean, when you think you got jobbed, it's natural to want to settle that score. Now, 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 I don't. I'm not saying his his voters believe that the reason he needs to be president. I think his voters believe he did a good job, and his voters know the gasoline was two dollars a gallon. They could afford to buy groceries and go on vacation, and the world uh, seemed to respect America. Uh, he was dealing with China in a way that I think you must deal with China, whether it's tariffs or not. Um, so, so I think the voters in, in the aggregate say, no, I mean, the guy did a good job. But I think Trump personally looks at this as, I got to settle this score. I mean, that, you know, um, I lost that last business proposition. Whether I lost it fairly or squarely, let me ask you this. Think, do we believe that's the first time Trump ever got screwed in a deal? Of course not. Of course not. Do you think he's ever screwed anybody in a deal? I'll let you ponder that. Take a break back in a minute. As much as Carl and I would like to convince ourselves that we're on different teams, we're not. I'll assure you of that. We're not on different teams. I just don't accept. And and this may be an interesting, let's do this for a second. What do we know about presidents other than them being president? I mean, what do you know about Barack Obama other than Barack Obama being president? What do we know about George W. Bush or, or George H.W. Bush? What do we know about? See, Trump was a larger-than-life figure before he became oh, that's president. I mean, he had this persona. He was personality. a personality. Sure. I mean, his name TV ID star. was off the charts. Um, a lot of the country liked him. A lot of the country didn't like him. It's not like he shows up, you know, on the political stage as somebody we— he's not an unknown commodity. I mean, people had already formulated a lot of opinions, good and bad, about Trump running for president. Um, A lot of people couldn't get past the fact that he was a host of a reality TV show. So Trump, more than anybody ever, and here's the best way I think to say it, to me personally, and I'm not saying this is everybody's opinion about Trump, to me personally, I've always found him a very simple man. Money, power, women, uh, influence. I mean, that's what makes a lot of men tick. He's a, he's a guy that wants to be in the middle of those sorts of things. And you add ego because and he puts uh, his name on the buildings sure, and the he, airplanes. He's and, not the only dude that wants a pretty woman, a lot of money, and a powerful job. And, you know, you're right. A lot of fame and fortune comes along with that. Adoration, seeking adoration. Now we're getting a little bit psychological here. But Trump's not a complicated guy. I mean, in all honesty, I've said it before and I'll say it again, women are Ferraris. I mean, there are a lot of intricacies that they have to have a line, man. If something ain't right, they, they, they could be difficult and complicated. Men are Jeeps. I mean, if three or four or five things in our life properly align and are going our way, we're pretty good. I mean, we'll get up and do our thing, go to bed at night and, and rest and get it up. Get it up. So, so Trump is, to me, very, um, uh, very similar to that. What, what Trump is, to me, where the complication comes is, the world that he's trying to operate in now, he was so normal in his business world, right? I mean, he's developing property. Trump's not the only Trump in that world. The majority of people he dealt with, competed against, were very similar to Trump. They wanted a bigger yacht, faster plane, and a prettier woman, right? I mean, would you agree to that? I think so. I mean, I'm not saying that makes you shallow, or but, but you know, it's it's the testosterone factor. It's the, the, the masculinity factor. So when Trump operates as he does as a real estate developer— 
He's competing against similar um, alpha males. But all of a sudden, he takes that personality, um, that that persona, and and that way of doing things, and he kind of institutes himself or, or introduces himself to a world that, whoa, the hell do you mean we're going to do this? Uh, you know, we're going to bomb the the blank out of somebody, or we're going to you know tear put tariffs on China because you won't know. So so I've always thought that to me that's the interesting study issue. That's the interesting uh, part to try and understand. Trump's not hard to understand. Uh, we're texting here a second ago. Is he petty? I think he is. Is he vindictive? I think he is. Is he full of himself? I think he is. But I don't think that's unusual. I think a lot of men <laughs> are, are similar to Donald Trump. They, they've not risen to the, noti- the notoriety or fame and fortune of a Trump. But, but I think the majority of men, or a large share, a large percentage of the men, are, are motivated by the very same things Donald Trump is. But when you get to Washington, that there's a way things are done. And, and one guy doesn't, in other words, the, the people Trump are competing with are probably, I mean, they, they, they've, they've accepted Washington as how it is. So that was always the great complication. Trump, the man, to me personally, has never been complicated or hard to understand. I mean, I, I would imagine there's some secrets there. There's some dark corners there, there with all of our lives. I mean, we know a little bit about his brother who was an alcoholic and passed away early in life. That had an effect on Trump. He's a teetotaler, doesn't drink. So I mean, we all have these nuances within our personality. But I think as in in the big picture from 35,000 feet, Trump is a very simple man to understand, but he's living and trying to operate in a world that is contrary, completely contrary to the way he's probably conducted himself in the majority of his business life. But the interesting part of Trump's presidency, when he shows up, we already knew a lot about him. The public had already made an opinion, formulated an opinion. Do you like him? Do you not like him? Uh, when, when most of these guys show up, it's the first time we really get to know who they are and what they're about. And then we, in the short run, formulate, you know, whether we like Jeb Bush Very or not, whether we like Marco Rubio now, or how not. You, how do you square up that it seems like a lot of people liked Trump before but they really turned on him when he became conservative Republican, if that's what he is, well, to, to and, me, and ran for president. Well, I mean, to me, that, that, that's the dominant narrative. I mean, there were so many voices in your ear, in my ear, in Freehold's ear, in Carl's ear, saying, don't like this guy, don't like this guy, don't like this guy, he's dangerous, he's dangerous, he's, he's irresponsible, he's irresponsible, he's, he's reckless, he's reckless. Um, sooner or later, uh, a percentage of people give in to that. That they're not looking at the dominant data. The dominant data shows me that Donald Trump was a damn good president, an extremely successful president, um, deserved a second term as far as I'm concerned. But the public, the general public watching Seinfeld, going to ball games, going to church, doing whatever it is they, they do, prioritizing fishing, hunting, going to, you know, whatever. We live our lives. That narrative was always there. Trump is uh, irresponsible. He's dangerous. I mean, that was really the thing. Um, he that, colluded with Russia. Sure, colluded with Russia. Um, but I think dangerous was the word. You know what I mean? I mean, if, if somebody said break it down into one word, Trump is dangerous. I think a lot of moderate, reasonable people said, ah, he might be. You know, he might be. I mean, I, I know he's narcissistic, but so was Don Kerry. So was Al Gore. So was Bill Clinton. Um, so so uh, he's been accused of being a philanderer. Was Bill Clinton a philanderer? You know what, I, mean, I don't think anybody moved on that. But when, when the dominant narrative became Trump is dangerous, but to be careful with Donald Trump, I think some of that stuck. 
And what I want to find out from Kahaley in about 30 or about 45 minutes is any of the January 6th sticking. And if so, does it affect his successful run for president if he so chooses? Um, I know this amongst our listeners. I don't know this. I'm speculating. But I believe the majority of our listeners don't put any faith nor stock in what they say in the January 6th commission. But a lot of people are watching Seinfeld. And it reaffirms this suspicion or belief they have this guy's a little bit dangerous. And you can be dangerous building skyscrapers in Manhattan. You can, you can, you can do it the way you want to do it. You can, what was the old Elvis, uh, I did it my way. You can do it your way. You know, in Manhattan building skyscrapers, you can't do it your way as president of the United States. And I think a lot of moderate-minded voters said, man, I like what the guy did. And I, I think he was sound on policy, probably dealt with China the way we need. But this, this thought of him being a bit dangerous, ah, uh, makes me a little bit hesitant to go down that road once again. Let's go to the phone. Alyssa in Florence. Good morning. Hey, good morning. I'm on my car phone. Can you hear me? Sure. Okay, great. So I just had a few points. Uh, First of all, I'm a Trump fan. I also like it when Carl calls in. I wish we had a Carl segment every day. Um, (laughs) We kind of do, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I noticed that. Um, Also, I I think... um, an issue for the upcoming election could be midterms too is how much taxpayer money has been spent going after donald trump just wasted just wasted and it's almost like i wish people would just dare them to keep doing it you know spending that money when we could use it for other things y'all have a good day thank you appreciate that um that's kind of an interesting take the january 6th commission uh gas is four dollars a gallon inflation is rampant uh, the debt is still increasing, and we're so concentrated on a guy that was president instead of the one that is president because the one that is president today sucks. I mean, we can debate Trump's presidency, the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, now, now, once again, he won't get a fair shake because historians, the, the media, and journal, a journalist, and, and his, you know, academics will recount how good or bad a president he was at some point in time. Um, but, but the guy in the White House now is just incompetent. I saw a video yesterday, about 17 or 18 seconds, and it reminded me of one of these propagandized um, hostage videos. They're taking good care of me. They're feeding me well. Um, they, these people aren't as bad as I've been led to believe. In fact, I think our leadership should sit down with them. I mean, it was weird. It was bizarre to me um, how they've, I don't know, sheltered. You know, it's interesting when Biden didn't have COVID, he didn't have any meetings. Now that he's got COVID, uh, on his schedule is two or three meetings every single day. It, it's it's sad. And once again, we've been talking about Trump because Trump's more interesting by far to discuss and talk about. Joe Biden is a an embarrassment to the American presidency, an absolute embarrassment. And somebody in the foal should be charged with elder abuse. It's a little bit sad. I mean, it's really getting to the point now I mean, if he hadn't, pro- you know, if he hadn't propped up his kid and his brother and all these, uh, if he were a normal, you know, eighty-year-old man operating under those conditions and circumstances, I'd have a little sympathy. I mean, I would because he looks to me like he is so out of sorts when he's trying to do these things that people are asking him to do. But but he's been a very very ambitious self-dealing politician, so I have no sympathy. I mean, once again, normal eighty-year-old man in that situation, I'm sympathetic. This guy, none whatsoever. Let's go to the phone. Joe in Hartsville. Good morning, Joe. Yeah, good morning, guys. Uh, 
You know, they keep calling Trump Hitler, and I does everything, but I don't remember him sticking the IRS on his opponents and the FBI and the CIA and digging up dirt and dragging him through the mud for two, three years. And it, he didn't even fire the people he needed to fire. You know, the bad thing, Ken, is me and you could go to Washington and fix the place in about two years. That's all it takes. You, you take the federal, the federal reserve, I'll take the rest of it and we'll, <laughs> we'll fix it. And, but they won't fix it because they know what works. That's the bad thing. And they're all against what works, which is capitalism. You know, when Reagan came in, he had to do some adjustments, but they raised interest rates above the inflation rate to get it in check. But at the same time, he cut taxes and he cut regulations to spur growth, which we grew to get ahead of inflation because that's how you stimulate and get more goods and services to bring down the rate of inflation. And as far as, you know, you are talking yesterday with Social Security, until they do like every other retirement fund in America and invest it and take it away from the politicians, because all it is is a piggy bank for them. Social Security hasn't gained more than 1.2 to 1.9% interest in the last 20 years a year. Most retirement plans, I know the state, is is getting a return of between 8 and 15% every year. So until they invest and take away that piggy bank for the, for the politicians to, to raid and use that cheap money, we're not going to accomplish anything. They, they can't fix Social Security because it's never going to sustain itself. And this chips bill they they're trying to pass this fifty they say fifty two billion but it's actually three hundred billion and now now they're talking about taking out the provision to where they can't produce them in china they're they're taking that out what's what's the purpose of the bill to bring chips back to the United States if you take out the requirement of not to have it in China? It makes no sense. It's like they're against everything they're trying to accomplish just so the Republicans will vote against it and say, see, we're trying to get chips back in the United States, but the Republicans are voting against it. It, it, Me and you can go up there and fix it in two years if they do what we got to say. Y'all help. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. The the chips bill, the the superconductor, semiconductor um, bill is is really – I mean, I read a good bit about it last night. The Wall Street Journal had a couple of articles. New York Times had an interesting article on the bill. Um, they don't call it like they see it because, once again, they don't want this realignment. And we talked about the misalignment, the realignment, the great reset, as, as Glenn Beck likes to call it. Um, the reality is corporations make a lot of money by having China, China manufacture their product. I mean, that's just the, the cold, hard, dirty truth. And for the realignment to take place, because uh, Joe was talking about this bill and that bill and the Federal Reserve – Guys, we, the country is so misaligned, and and by misaligned, I mean the interests of the powerful people are not in your best interest. I mean, the interest of the power pe- powerful people is a square peg. Your interest is the round hole. 
And to get that square peg in that round hole has to be concessions made and a reworking of policy and, and maybe the abolishment of the Federal Reserve would be on the table um, to address inflation, the plight of average, everyday working Americans. And I'll say this. To me, the legacy of Trump, if he doesn't run nor win, the legacy of Trump is exposing how committed people are to this misalignment. That's a weird thing to say because who in the world would be committed to a misalignment? But the misalignment allows those who get more than their fair share to keep getting more than their fair share while those who deserve a little more prosperity of the nation's economy, because we don't live in a capitalist market. We just don't. I'm tired of Republicans saying that. I believe in capitalism, therefore I vote for Republicans. Very few Republicans in Washington sincerely advocate for capitalism or a free market or a market-based economy. They've distorted the market just as much as, as the Democrats have. Now, the Democrats want to give more benefit to the government, bureaucracies and agencies and, and you know retirement plans and pensions and all these other sorts of things that, than the Republicans do. But the Republicans are equally misaligned, and that's, the, that, that's kind of the, the crux of the argument. Um, the, the Republican establishment, those who have helped orchestrate this great misalignment, they, they, they can't afford to let things get back realigned because if things get back in alignment, guess what? The, the corporate interest world changes. China's all of a sudden, I mean, we, we respect human rights and human dignity, and we don't allow a country, a communist country, who has zero, zero interest in human rights or, or ethical principles within business. Um, as long as corporations lobby Washington, and Washington allows the exporting of jobs to places like China to improve or increase corporate profits on the uh, what I call uh, the Fortune 500's balance sheet. I'm not talking about small business. I'm not talking about mom and pop. Um, that's where the realignment has to has to take place. So if Trump never serves a day again in office, he is exposed, and this will be his legacy if he does not run nor win. His legacy will be exposing not the fraud, not the misalignment. We knew. Something wasn't right, right? I mean, we knew Washington was not working in our best interest. I mean, most people... That's why we voted for Trump. Correct. Because, I mean, we were a, we, we were suspicious, highly suspicious, excuse me, that something doesn't make sense up there. But instead of accepting and appreciating the, the burning desire that a certain percentage of Americans have for this realignment, they resisted. Remember that, I mean, I give this speech over and over again. I'll probably do it again Thursday night in, in Hartsville. Tomorrow night when I speak to a group in Hartsville, thank you for inviting me over the, to the, I think it's the, is it the WWE has a summer slam? I mean, they call it a summer something. I mean, it's some kind of big event they have in Darlington County. I think Russell Fry will be there and former speaker Jay Lucas will be there. Are you all wrestling? Yeah, there won't be any wrestling <laughs> okay. going on. I hope not. Uh, but I'm game if, if, you know, if trouble starts. I'm not one to run. Um, <laughs> uh, I got TJ Joy's cell phone number. I'll, I'll call TJ and get him. Anyway, um, this, this misalignment, how committed I mean, how absolutely committed some of the power brokers are to making sure the misalignment stays in place. That's kind of a weird thing. Why would you want the misalignment to stay in place? Surely you want to get it back on kilter. Sure, you want to get yeah, back realigned. they got the advantage. Sure. I mean, they've rigged the game. And when Trump says the game is rigged, drain the swamp, he's exactly right. I mean, that, that was the message that resonated with the American public. They don't understand. The majority of Americans don't understand how the game is rigged. They don't understand how to drain the swamp. Trump really doesn't either. Uh, but, but Trump, I mean, he had cred, street cred because he said, I helped rig the game. I mean, I am in my previous state, the swamp. 
You know, I'm the guy that everybody came to see wanting contributions, and I would ask for favors. I mean, I'm sure you, you think Trump's never asked a New York City council member for a favor? Uh, you don't think he's ever paid off uh, uh, some sort of—of course he has. I mean, and that's what makes him th- so threatening. That's what makes him so damaging. He understands that world as where as well as they do, and he's tried to expose that world in a way that would rock their boat and rock their world in a way that it has never been rocked before. That's always still the Trump factor. People say the Trump factor is he says what he believes and, and believes what he says, and he calls it like he sees it, and, and he tells it like it is. Yeah, okay. Um, from, from an optical, you know, from a political candidate's perspective, that's different. That's unique. Um, Donald Trump will tell you what he thinks. Yeah, there, there's value in that. But more than anything, Trump is kind of street savvy, been in business. And, and when somebody is uh, arguing a point of view, he understands why they're arguing that point of view. And they know he understands why, they're, why they are arguing that point of view. He scared the daylights out of the establishment on China. Because China is the great misalignment. When we allowed and legitimized China to be a member of the World Trade Organization, we allowed them to become the world's manufacturing plant. We knew their record on human rights. We knew their record uh, on personal liberties and freedoms. We knew that, that the, the Chinese government trying to reconcile Western culture and society was, was impossible, but we did it anyway because corporate America saw an opportunity to make more and more and more profit and politicians aided and abetted that effort. And that's really one of the great misalignments that, that fundamentally has to be realigned. And the only people that seem to be interested in this are the America First Republicans. The status quo elite establishment Republicans, no interest. Mitt Romney, zero interest in making sure we renegotiate whatever transactional relationship we have with China. Uh, it's kind of a, somebody texted me a second ago when, when I thought about Trump being dangerous and, and said, now he's dangerous. I didn't say he's dangerous. I said a lot of the voters bought into the narrative that he's dangerous. I mean, I, I don't think he's dangerous. I think he's incredibly helpful in exposing some of these things. I think the people in Washington fighting Trump are far more dangerous. But but to believe that none of that stuck, none of the dominant narrative by the media, Trump's dangerous. This is a dangerous guy. You don't believe that resonated with a certain universe of voters? Take a break. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937. The question, how impressionable is the American public? That's an interesting question. I did see yesterday where CNN's audience is down 47%. Nobody, I mean, it'll pick up a little bit if Trump decides to run. Um, MSNBC's is down 33%. Fox is up 12%. But I've read recently that their, uh, Rupert Murdoch's kids have really insisted that Fox kind of um, turn its ire toward uh, the Trump movement. They don't want Trump to run again. They don't want it to be successful again. And we're really in one of these periods of, and the reason I wanted Robert to come on today is this dominant narrative, dominant data theory. It would be interesting to me if CNN, who have said they are going to get away from that partisan, political, anti-Trump thing they've been doing for so many years, if he does run again, if they go right back to it. But I mean, it, to me, you go where you make money. I mean, and it worked for yeah, I mean, I at understand. a little. You know, for, better some than it stu- is now. for some stupid reason, um, over the weekend, you know how you'll YouTube something and something else, I mean, it almost tries to read your mind. And oh, yeah. I bet he wants to watch this. Anyway, um, it usually does a pretty good job. It does. It really does. But anyway, the um, what was the space shuttle? Not the the Challenger blew up going into space, outer space. Mm-hmm. 
the um, Columbia. Columbia. Columbia disintegrated as it made its way back into yep. the Earth's atmosphere, heat panels and tiles and all that sort of things. Um, anyway, uh, I was watching, or I was on YouTube Saturday, maybe Saturday at the beach, and um, late in the evening, for some stupid reason, one of those uh, excuse me, um, Columbia videos come up, and it's a CNE, and it's seven hours and 18 minutes, and it takes you back to that day. And CNN is a shadow of its former self. I mean, there were news people there. I mean, I understand that's a news story, and that's not a Republican shuttle or a Democrat shuttle, but today CNN would try to blame Trump. I mean, it would be the cut of funding at NASA, you know, led to this. And there was never a mention of politics. It was seven. I didn't watch seven hours and 18 minutes, but I would fast, you know, kind of flip through an hour and watch it. And I mean, they had NASA experts and former astronauts and all this. I mean, it was news. It was a news event. But I thought about this. In seven hours of CNN, if the space shuttle blew up today, there's no way that a Republican doesn't get blamed for something. I mean, there's no way they talk for seven hours about a space shuttle disintegrating as it entered uh, back oh, in Earth's atmosphere. You can atmosphere. picture now they'd have the, uh, the pundits around the sure. table, and then it'd be, you know, this the, Republican the, did this. The, the Republicans cut funding. or Trump the Republican, did this. You, you better believe it. Yep, so, right. you know, but, but, but in, in fairness to CNN, there's a market for that. I mean, there's a market for kind of an anti-Trump sentiment. Um, he's a polarizing political figure. He's a simple man, but he's a complicated political phenomenon. And he, did, he called him out. And so I guess they're fighting back in a way. Well, I mean, but he destroyed their credibility. I mean, they, they, he they're, won. they're in the entertainment That's business. Right. I mean, they're not. Uh, most people believe that CNN is in the pro, kind of the propaganda business. They propagandize on behalf. And it's not really opposed to Republicans. It, it'll be very interesting. At some point in time, Trump's no longer here, right? I mean, at some point in time, the boogeyman goes away. Um, is it is it now? Is it two years? Is it four years? Is it six years? Uh, I don't have any idea what what the future holds for Donald Trump. I don't have any idea. Uh, it's obvious he likes the fight. He likes being in the middle of the fray. Um, he's good at it. He's as good at it as anybody I've ever seen when it comes to the street fight mentality of politics in America today. And that suits our sensibilities today. We tend to like someone who will um you know take a swing at the opposition, so to speak. But um. But, but when you talk about the dominant narrative and the dominant data uh, and, and talking about Trump being dangerous, yeah, I think, I think the media convinced some moderate voters that Donald Trump was a dangerous man. And the reason he's dangerous is he'll do whatever he wants to do. He doesn't take counsel from anybody. I don't believe that. But, but I think to, to suggest that nobody bought in to any of that is just not true, simply not true. Um, how does Trump run this time? Does he run as he always has? Or is there a kind of a different version of Trump? Is there a, um, is, did I learn a lesson? I mean, I would say a more humble, but that ain't possible. I mean, that's just not <laughs> going to happen. Um, he's going to be who he is, and he can't stop being that. I mean, you got to be who you are. And he's kind of a bombastic, narcissistic, you know, get out of my way and let me there um, kind of personality. And, I, you know, I, I, but, but what does he fundamentally change? Um Make America great again. Again? I mean, is that kind of where we go from here? Uh, does the red cap say make America great again, again? Um, because there was, a, there was a lot of beauty in that message because it was so simple. It was so understandable, so relatable. It's the economy, stupid. I mean, James Carville nailed it, you know, with Bill Clinton. It's the economy, stupid. I mean, he didn't, he didn't call George H.W. Bush stupid, but he made kind of an inference, didn't he? 
Sure he did. I mean, do you really understand the economy, George H.W.? So what does Trump run on? Um, now, now we, I think he touched on a little bit of this. Uh, well, I don't know if you saw this. Not Fox played the Pence speech, didn't play the Trump speech. That's kind of interesting. That, um, but, but once again, I've read in several accounts that the, the Murdoch family, the kids in particular, um, I think one of the wives is a big, big liberal donor bundler. Is what they um is what they call them when they raise enormous amounts of money for Democrat causes, but um, but but Fox has a large array of opinion monsters. Uh, they're, they're, the Murdochs aren't going to tell. Excuse me, is it the Murdochs? I mean, I'm thinking about Murdoch down in the lower part of the uh, the state. The Murdochs are not going to Rupert Murdoch. No, Murdoch. Murdoch. Yeah, yeah. Murdoch. Right. Yep. Rupert Murdoch. Yep. Murdoch. And then the Murdoch or Murdoch cases. In the low country, right. getting these confused. Is it Murdoch or Murdoch? I heard it both ways. I have too. Yeah. I mean, the national news related is, um, to the South Carolina yeah. family. Yeah, and, and but I I've heard Rupert Murdoch. Rupert Murdoch, the CEO, or or what? What is his official title? Chairman of the Board of Emeritus. Yeah, of uh, Fox News. Um, he's not going to tell Tucker what to say or what not to say. Because Tucker has too many viewers. I mean, three and a half, four million people every night watch Tucker's show. So he's not going to go to Tucker and say, "Hey, Tucker, you got to you know get, lay off this Trump stuff." Um, no, I mean that's that's their that's their cash cow. That's how they monetize the business they're in. Uh, it, it'll just be very interesting. And, and once again, Kahaley will be with us in about twenty or twenty five minutes. And I want to kind of pin him down on. Um, and the one thing I want to make sure I understand is the likelihood he runs, and from Robert's perspective, the likelihood that that he wins. I mean, I, you know, that's interesting to me. I think I can get to him winning the Republican primary. I don't think that's any oh, problem. Sure. And, and once again, the most likely candidate to give him trouble would be Ron DeSantis. But if DeSantis is a smart man, and I take it he is, when Trump announces, he kind of like, okay, I mean, it, it's his turn this time. It'll be my turn sooner or later. And um, so four years of a, of a president, four years of not having, I mean, this will be such an unusual election and i guess in a selfish way it's good for business because you've got the democrat party with a very very um diminished candidate without question um, even the democrats know they have a diminished candidate but is he better than anything they can go find i mean that's kind of where they are so you've got a president now in a weak position incredibly weak position now, now the advantage he has is all the organized forces uh, are working for him you know media academia all these uh, alignments are, are, are kind of wind in his sails, so to speak. Biden doesn't have the capacity to propel himself anywhere. Um, others will have to do that for him. Trump is a force of nature. Trump doesn't need. I mean, as much as the media says we're not going to cover him, when he comes to town, you got to go. I mean, he can't not be there because there's no telling what sort of events you may see or what sort of um what sort of something or other he may he may say. So you've got a diminished incumbent that may or may not run again. They don't want him to run, but they're not sure they can find someone um, to win. So, and then you've got this, um, the, the, the party out of power, kind of waiting on one former president to decide. I mean, you say that out loud. An incumbent is so diminished, he probably won't run again. And if he does, it'll be because they couldn't find a, a better or equal alternative. You've got a former president uh, chomping at the bit, so to speak, to get back in the game. And, um, and we're, you know, trying to discern whether or not that is the best avenue forward. I mean, personally, I think Ron DeSantis beats Joe Biden hands down. I mean, I think DeSantis beats anybody the Democrats put up. 
because I don't think DeSantis has the baggage that Trump has. And Carl, Trump has baggage. Maybe some don't want to admit it, but Trump has baggage. Um, he brings a lot to the table, good and bad. Do you think DeSantis would motivate the Democrats like Trump does to be against him? No. 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 D- nobody does what Trump does. I mean, nobody moves the meter like Donald Trump. It, it's a little bit like, what you know, you argue about who was the greatest player ever. Um, you know, th- there are certain people who move the meter. And he moves the meter unlike anybody I have ever seen in my political life. I mean, th- th- there have been some unusual political actors. Ron Paul was an unusual political actor. Um, Barack Obama was a very interesting political figure. Um, a transform, I mean, a transformative political figure, to be honest. But Obama didn't move the meter like Trump. No, nobody has ever. I mean, I'm thinking about sports. I mean, we're. I mean, I'm a big sports fan. I'm thinking about racing and baseball and football and basketball. I mean, some of those guys move the meter. Dale Earnhardt Sr. as a NASCAR fan moved the meter. Um, the Yankees. In baseball, move the meter. Uh, the Cowboys in football move the meter. Nobody moves the meter in their sector like Donald Trump does. I mean, it's just it's it's hard to believe what, what <laughs> the force he is. And um, and once again, it's not all good. And I think we've got to accept. You don't have to embrace it, but you've got to accept that if Trump is our nominee, Joe Biden becomes a better candidate. Really and truly, if Trump becomes the nominee, Joe Biden. Not, not of his own doing. I mean, he doesn't do anything differently. He doesn't know he's in the world. But he all of a sudden is a is a better candidate simply because um, the pro-Biden force is not strong. The anti-Trump force they, they run is, is against those weaknesses. No that question about it. I mean, it's, it's how many people will vote against Donald Trump. I mean, the people that vote for Biden, it wouldn't even be close. Trump would win 40 states, 40 or 50 states. But the people voting against Trump, and that's what that's what we have to understand. We don't like that. We wish it weren't the case. We don't understand it. Why would you be that opposed to this guy? What sort of positions has he taken that are genuinely a threat to democracy? None. None. Zero. Donald Trump is not a threat to democracy. That's an absurd argument to make. He is a different and unique political figure that has resonated and connected with a loyal base of voters. That's where he is. But, but some people will buy into that narrative of got to stop him. I mean, he's dangerous. He's a threat to democracy. I don't think either, but some people in Pennsylvania do. Some people in Wisconsin will. Some people in Arizona might. And that is a, a big deal moving forward. 843-661-0937. Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a minute. 843-661-0937. Someone on the phone. Let's go there. Breeze. Good morning. You're on. Well, you know, here's the deal. I was telling y'all earlier, when Trump was running you know, for his re-election, that I felt like they would kill him if he got elected. And I still felt like if he were to get elected or it looked like he was going to get elected, they would kill him. But um, And I do feel like that Trump would win a fair and honest election regardless of the Republicans that would vote against him for their own self-interest. But I think that if, that if Trump were to run, there would be such – these Republicans and Democrats would come together with the media, these big businesses that are, that are afraid of Trump, these globalist corporations, and they would do whatever it took to make you lose. But maybe, kid, and maybe you got an idea – Maybe the most important question we should be asking ourselves is, who would be Trump's running mate? 
And I'll leave that up for speculation. Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate that. You know, Breeze makes an interesting point. Um, the Trump, Repo- excuse me, the um, the anti-Trump Republican. We expect the Democrats to do everything they can to beat Donald Trump. We expect the media. I mean, I've come to accept that's just what the media is going to do. They're not going to report the news. They're not going to give Trump a fair shake. They're not going to give you nor I a fair shake as a Trump supporter. Academia. I mean, we've talked a lot about, you know, they'll, they'll treat Trump in history as a footnote. I mean, they'll tell all the bad things he did and none of the good things he did. But the tr- the, the never-Trump Republican is truly someone that I am deeply bothered by. I mean, I'm not concerned with because they don't have the majority. But let's say that 30% of the party is never Trump. I don't, I think that's an overstatement. Let's say 30% of the party don't want him to be the nominee, but they're not never Trump. Let's say 15% of the party is never Trump. I would argue that's probably pretty close. Um, the Lincoln Projects of the world, the you know, so, some of the, uh, the Mitch McConnells of the world. Um, I don't want to say the Nikki Haley or Mike Pence. That's unfair to them because I think they've shown, you know, that they can kind of play it both ways. Um, it's hard to play it both ways, but I think, you know, I'm not going to call them a never Trump Republican, but, but there are a, there's an element within the party that I think is about 15% that if Trump is the nominee, they'll vote for the Democrat or not vote at all. And that's discouraging to me. I mean, and they'll they'll work against it. I mean, sure. Like the Lincoln project. Yeah. They'll take a job on MSNBC, Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger. I mean, these are people who are Republicans. Um, Trump wins Wyoming with 70% of the vote. And Liz Cheney's trying to put him in jail. I mean, that's you're talking about, you know, being personally selfish. I mean, that to me, that's the most selfish act in American politics today. Now, now, now Cheney's family has benefited enormously from establishment, elitist, globalist policies. So, I mean, I get it. There's a, there's kind of a personal uh, preservation or self-preservation factor there. But, but I, you know, the the Democrat on MSNBC who tra- says Trump sucks and his followers are cultists. That doesn't bother me because I expect that from a Democrat activist. Um, the, the academic who says that Trump is a bloodthirsty, you know, cult leader and the people that follow him are normally not very educated, not very bright. That doesn't uh, bother me at all because I expect those people to say those sorts of things. But damn it, somebody with an R beside their name needs to get on the train or just say, I'm not a Republican anymore. I mean, I'm a Democrat. You know, Larry Hogan. Larry Hogan is not a Republican governor of Maryland. I mean, I know he won as a Republican. He hoodwinked. Uh, he probably did some research and polling and found out that, you know, if, if, if he ran as a Republican, he'd get all the Republican vote and a few of the Democrats would cross over. Some of the moderate, independent-minded, what I call blue dog Democrats uh, would cross over. But, but I've always been disgusted, not bothered, disgusted by the 15% never-Trump Republicans who just feel like they have the right to run the party as they see fit, and if they don't get to run the party as they see fit, they take their ball and go home. Oh, they throw a tantrum. I mean, it, you're talking about Trump being selfish, you know, and being uh, a little bit unusual in the way. To, to me, nothing Trump has ever done rivals what those 15% of Republicans have done. They can't accept that the majority of the voters in their party have said, we want to go this way. Well, if you don't want to go that way, then don't call yourself a Republican any longer because you're simply not. You're a turncoat and a traitor. That's what you are. And it's not 30%. 30% don't want Trump to run again. But 15% would work against him. Ah, that's unfortunate. And my word, disgusting. Back in a minute.
843-661-0937. This Wednesday morning, we told you yesterday, we're telling you again this morning, Robert Cahaley of Trafalgar is with us. Robert, good morning. How are you? Robert Cahaley from Trafalgar is with us. Robert, you on the phone? I am. Good morning, sir. Hate to get you up this early. I know you probably stayed up till 2 or 3 in the morning, um, crunching data, going over all the work that needs to be done as you diligently prepare for the midterms. <laughs> so we thank you from the bottom of our hearts for uh, for getting up this early for us this morning. You know, all you got to do is just one time have Ken Ard call you and you slept in and you get this the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Hey, I want to I want to go through a list of um of of subjects or issues and get your take on this. Um, you're the data guru. You're the guy we trust to tell us not what the narrative is, but what the data says. So the first issue I want to touch on to get your take on this: Why do I feel like we're already beginning a presidential campaign? When I see Pence speaking and I see Trump speaking, why does it feel to me that I don't need an official announcement? We already have two guys running for the presidency. Well, I think it's more than two, but also it is in the media's best interest. Uh, I think we all can concede that the mainstream media has decided that their focus is trying to get people to not be thinking about the midterms and how the Republicans are going to win so big and focus on that wipeout and try to focus everyone on 2024. Because in doing that, they can avoid 2022 being a referendum on Biden. And so, yeah, they're, they're going to draw a lot more attention to this, uh, that, that the upcoming presidential contest, and they're going to try to keep people talking about, about it as much as possible. Uh, the media is well involved in trying to change the narrative of this election on many fronts, and this is one of them. Okay, let's go to the midterms, because I think there's a lot at stake for Trump Tuesday in Arizona. You may disagree with me here, but in, Ar- but in Arizona, Blake Masters and Kerry Lake are the Trump-endorsed candidate, one running for Senate, one running for governor. How do you see those races, and what sort of chances do those two Trump-endorsed candidates have? Well, the last time we polled it, we had a pretty sizable lead uh, for Lake, and we had a, a small lead, but a lead for Masters. Uh, that followed the, the uh, Trump endorsement. We are in the field right now. I think that we could see a little bit of an adjustment uh, in that the candidate that was number three in that race, Salmon, uh, got out and endorsed the uh, lady who was number two, uh, who was running against uh, Lake. And I can't recall her name right now, but it, it is making that race, uh, I think it will make that race a little tighter. Uh, we'll know more on that one in a, in a few days because, like I said, we're in the field now, and we are going to publish something in Arizona before that election. Robert, if Lake wins the gubernatorial primary and Masters wins the Senate primary, does that even more entice Trump to run in 2024? You know, I don't think it affects how whether Trump wants to run. I, I think that Arizona's Republican state. And so what that does is having Lake as governor, having a legislature who is focused on maybe uh, some significant tweaks to the election system, I think gives him more confidence about the uh, a fall 2024 election in Arizona, uh, having somebody who realizes there's a problem and needs to fix it. And um, so I don't think it discourages 
I also think that unlike what happened in Georgia, which we all know is a calamity, uh, that Georgia is a, in, in some in some ways an insane asylum, in some ways a uh, a state. It just depends on which state you look at it. But this this particular state was another one where the sides kind of formed up. Pence came in from one side, Trump came in from the other side, and and Trump had both candidates. And where Georgia, he kind of got a split decision. His his candidate for for uh, governor lost, candidate for Senate won. Uh, to have a sweep when Pence was on the other side, I think would give Trump momentum and quiet some of the Republican critics who suggest maybe a larger divide in MAGA world than exists. So is Pence, I mean, is there any lane for Mike Pence? My opinion is no. Uh, there is, there is, there's the, you know, kind of the MAGA lane. And I think that those in the MAGA lane are Trump folks. And if for some reason Trump doesn't run, those in the MAGA lane are DeSantis folks. I do not think that there is, there's a, there's like a small segment there. And then there's some in the religious right community who really like Pence. But I just, I just don't feel like that he has a claim to any large group of votes. I think other candidates, Ronnie, would have a bigger claim to large groups of votes. I would say in the end, uh, depending upon the contest, a guy like Pompeo could grow a whole lot higher than, than, than Pence. Is there – okay, let me ask you this. It's kind of a weird way to ask the question. Is it Trump one, DeSantis two, and the field a distant third? Well – that's presupposing something I don't know that's going to happen right now. I don't know that DeSantis is actually going to run against Trump because I think DeSantis is a cool poker player, and he understands that a, a heavyweight primary between two Republicans that's not only split the Republican Party but split the MAGA element of the Republican Party probably results in – a very bad outcome where the party is so divided it can't win 2024. And that doesn't sound like something at this point I I would see DeSantis wanting to jump into. And I agree with that. I think if if Trump decides to run, DeSantis is young enough to wait and let some of that other sort itself out. Um, I I want to go to, you're talking about the Senate a second ago and talking about Georgia. Um, Herschel Walker seems to be having problems. Um, Kemp's up, what, five, six, or seven, Walker's down two or three. It's not that he's down two well, or three, but why is cons- Matt Towery hasn't polled it yet, and University of Georgia and all that nonsense. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, there had not been a legit poll done. So I'm gonna, I just want to stop you there. Like, okay. None of that, that's all noise to me. Well, tell me so where Matt it is. So how do you look at out. Georgia? I'm going to wait until Matt puts something out. He's putting something out, uh, I think, this week. Uh, and what he says, uh, I put a lot of faith in. What I would expect is that you're going to see uh, a race that's tight, uh, that right now you're going to have a, a tighter race for Senate than for governor. Um, but there are concerns for Kemp of Republicans who won't vote for him because of Trump. And there are certainly people who are saying they're not going to vote for Herschel because of all the negative publicity. But in the end, especially in a Republican wave, when you come right down to it, what Republicans have proven in other races is they might not particularly like the personal behavior and statements 
of a candidate, but if they like the way that that candidate implant, plans to govern or in the Senate case to vote, they can overlook those things. We might have other examples of that happening in our recent Republican past. And so I think when it comes down to it, voting right and how Herschel Walker would vote on the floor of the Senate is going to overwhelm what issues there might be with this person and his personality and some of his history. Interesting. Let's go back to Trump for a second in January 6th. The select committee that, that many Trump supporters refer to as a witch hunt, a, a kangaroo court, has it had any effect on on Trump's numbers? I'm talking about the data. I'm not talking about what the narrative is. We know what the media and their intent is. From a pure statistical perspective, is Trump in a in a less strong position today than he was when the uh, when the committee began? Short answer is yes, but let me let me let me dig into that and tell you why. Among those people who didn't like Trump, no. If anything, it just gave them another argument or two that they could throw around at their cocktail parties. Among those who liked Trump, who were kind of wondering whether 2024 Trump was too risky to be the candidate, even though they support him, it made them feel a little more that way. Because what you're seeing is people who say, yeah, I'm nervous that Trump might lose if he runs, but... If he does, you know, and, and they don't want him to run necessarily. But if he does run, I'm with him. I mean, that's what they tell us. I'm nervous. I worry he might be the one who could lose. But if he's running, I'm not voting against him. And so, but that crowd, I think it makes him a little more, yeah, maybe I wish he wouldn't run. That's the kind of answer they give us. But what they tell us every time is, but if he does, I'm with him. Robert, he's in the last ten polls I've I've looked at. Now, now one of it, one of those is yours. You did a poll on Trump versus Biden, and Trump wins um, by what two or three percentage points, maybe three and a half percentage points. Um, in seven of the most recent ten presidential uh, polls, it has Donald Trump winning over President Joe Biden. Is yeah. that where we are? I mean, right now, if, if the election were tomorrow, it's not. But if it were tomorrow and Joe Biden was the Democrat nominee, Donald Trump was the Republican nominee, you think Trump beats Biden? Yes. And think about that. One, I know everybody says, well, there's a lot of undecideds in those polls. They don't break toward Trump. And I agree with that. I think they probably break away from Trump. However, those polls were popular vote polls. And so if a Republican is winning the popular vote, that means they are crushing the Electoral College. So even if those undecided toward a break against Trump and he's down by two in the popular vote, that means he's probably up 300 uh, electoral votes in the Electoral College. So I acknowledge that even in those polls, the undecided could break against Trump. But if he's leading now, it definitely means he's winning the Electoral College. And yes, I think that would be the result of a rematch, because even those who disliked – remember um, a few years after Clinton had been president and people started making the joke when the economy got bad in the early 2000s and when the economy got bad um, after the housing crisis, you know, I'll tell you what, that Bill Clinton, I didn't like all the stuff he did, but man, we were – the country store was make I sure was making some money back then. Things weren't really kind of rolling back then. Remember that kind of attitude people had? 
I do. And they were almost willing to forgive everything Clinton did over it. Well, guess what? There's that same attitude about Trump, because at the end of Clinton's term, this country's engines were firing online. They balanced the budget. The Republicans and Democrats had ended welfare as we know it, you know, yada, yada. And that kind of all that good when people think about it minimized the couple of things they did like. And I think that and I think that you would see that not not to the same degree, but among voters who are not irrational least supporting Trump or irrationally opposing Trump among that considerate voter. They think, man, I didn't like the tweets and some of the, some of the hyperbole, but God, man, you know, things sure were great. And I did love that gas under two bucks. You said a second ago that some Republican voters consider Trump to be too risky. Is there something Absolutely. he could do to make himself less risky and, and allow more Republican primary voters or general election voters to, to be a little more comfortable with him? Uh, you know, I think one of the things he could do is kind of really move his focus and to, to say more like, hey, I mean, here's the thing. It's almost like I feel like sometimes when he talks, he's still trying to convince Republican audiences what happened to the election. I got news for him. We've polled it. They already believe it. So if he would take that message from there are things that happened in the last election, and we're not here to talk about those again today. But what we are here to talk about is how if we work together and get better election laws in a few key states, and that starts with winning a few key elections, we can make the system better and be ready for 2024. And so I'm asking you to take that anger and don't let it keep you from voting, but let it focus you like a laser beam on winning those elections and join me in, in changing things. I think if he would tip that message that way, it could kind of unite people and kind of signal that he is done with the expressing his frustration with 2020 and ready to fix it in 2022. Robert, when you polled in 16, you talked about the hesitant Trump voter, the, the person who didn't want to verbalize their support of Trump. Is that still a key factor? It's actually great. In 2020, it was greater because they went from being hesitant to tell you their position to hesitant to take the poll. Um, because between 2016 and 2020, we experienced a level of cancel culture, which no one could have anticipated. Um, you know, people's phones are ringing off the hook. They're hearing all kind of stuff. And their concern is, you know, they'd ask, well, who, who's asking this? What are you going to do with this information? And, and Republicans became very suspect as to what was going to happen. Would they, if they told somebody they were, uh, were for Trump on the phone, would, was there going to be a recording of them going to be on YouTube? And, you know, I mean, people are going to be using it to try to fire them from their job. They, they, they were hesitant whether, whether polls were real and who's asking what they're going to do with it. And so they just were hesitant to take the polls. So we realized we had to try very hard in some states five times as hard to get Republican participants as we did Democrats. So it, it, it kind of sunk, you know, it, they went from hesitant to kind of underwater and harder and harder to measure. Interesting. Last question. What data are you looking for as we head into the midterms? I mean, as a, as a pollster, as someone who Robert said, he provides accurate and trustworthy information to people who pay for it. I mean, that, that in essence is what Trafalgar does. And he does as good as anybody in Republican circles today. Robert Cahaley, a, uh, Senior pollster with uh, Trafalgar is with us 
this morning. What data points are you paying close attention to, Robert, as we head into the midterms and eventually the presidential primary? I'm watching to see um, what some of these uh, suburban uh, women, how they end up voting, not just whether they vote Republican, but how they end up voting for uh, more MAGA Trump-oriented candidates. And I'm watching to see uh, what these numbers are among uh, that we I expect have moved significantly uh, away from the Democrat Party and uh, due to Biden among young people, uh, Hispanics and uh, black voters. I think that those shifts now and I'm, I'm telling you, but I'm not looking for exit polls because I think exit polls are intimidating people and people don't always tell the truth. But I'm looking for those those numbers as we measure them leading up last few days for these elections, because uh, I think that paradigm shift kind of sets the tone for the next election, because that many of those are a group of people who are saying to the Republicans, I'm not a Republican, but I'm going to give you a shot and you have a chance to earn my vote. And so I'm looking at how many people move that way. And then does the Republican Party do the things with control of Congress and the Senate, if it gets it, to keep those voters. You mentioned Hispanics. Is that is that real? I mean, is that is that fleeing from the Democrat Party to the Republican? Is that a real number? It is, and it is the single greatest backlash. You know, the Democrats, I think, would point to, oh, oh, this this Supreme Court decision, this thing is widening the door, this thing has opened the floodgates, this is going to make a big difference. Well, let me assure you, the Democratic Party going from the position of abortion should be safe, legal, and rare to walking down the street and protesting and advocating for abortion is not winning over Hispanic Catholics. Interesting. Very well explained. Robert, thank you for your time this morning. We may um, we may indulge ourselves to your services uh, probably sooner than later as we kind of head closer to midterms. Thank you a lot, my friend. Sounds good. Y'all have a good day. Robert Cahaley of Trafalgar, um, kind of an interesting perspective. Once again, dominant narrative, dominant data. This guy's in the data business, and the data um, kind of leads to the narrative. Take a break. Back in just a minute. We're back. 843-661-0937 is our number. I got to tell you, having Robert Cahaley on, that's that's one of my favorite uh, segments when he calls. Because he knows what he's talking oh, about, and I don't. No, well, no, he, he really does, but the, the, when you, and you, you ask him the questions, and I know part of that comes from your longtime relationship with Robert. I mean, I don't know that he's calling a lot of local radio shows on a daily basis. So I appreciate the fact he calls, but he just brings such insight to, to paid, the issues. I paid Robert a lot of money to run my campaign. That's why he's beholden forever <laughs> to me. He's forever indebted to, um, yeah, to oh, taking my call. Ro- Robert ran my campaign when I ran for lieutenant governor, and um, that's how we developed a friendship. This is prior to him building the mousetrap to find a Trump voter. I mean, you know, Robert will tell you in a minute, I don't know how long this lasts, but right now I feel like our polling methodology is identifying the Trump voter better than any other polling there is out there. Once again, he'll he'll readily admit we're probably not good at polling Democrat candidates. We're probably not good at polling, um, you know, the, the establishment Republicans. But but for the Trump voter, they built kind of a mousetrap, mm-hmm. and it's done a remarkable job of convincing people it's okay to verbalize your support of Donald Trump. And he's uh, he's received the appropriate 
accolades and appreciation because he, he has a He'd rather have the money. I mean, the well, accolades sure. are fine, but he'd rather, but, but he'd he rather does have the national money. attention. I mean, they, they talk about he's a guest on you know, Fox and on yep. national radio shows all the time. So I just want to say I appreciate uh, every time Robert calls Speaking the show. of esteemed guests, we have another one with us. Senior editor of The Heel, Jesse Burns, is with us. Jesse, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Thanks for having me. And we'll stay in the vein of Donald Trump. I mean, a political force of nature. Some love him, some don't. Um, so much, but he made a visit, a return visit to Washington yesterday, America First Policy Institute, which I think is a, a think tank formed by a band of former Trump um, supporters, administration officials and whatnot. Um, Jesse, what do we make of Trump coming back to Washington? It feels to me like he's beginning a presidential campaign. Yeah, we definitely saw him tease uh more than halfway through his speech, uh, kind of a third potential White House bid, making the argument that uh, his political foes are out to get him and that he just wants to get back to work for the American people. Uh, that listening, of course, uh, applause and cheers from the friendly crowd uh, gathered in D.C. watching him. Uh, but we saw, you know, him yesterday, the, the speech was billed as a policy speech. He was focusing on kind of law and order uh, rhetoric throughout most of it and a number of the, the issues that he was talking about dealing with uh, immigration and crime and major cities. Um, but we definitely, you know, seen, um, you know, him say recently that he has made a decision on whether he's going to run for president and that a decision, uh, he's just weighing, you know, when to announce it either before or after the midterms. A number of allies have, have told us that that decision could come as soon as this summer. Uh, but we're just waiting to see exactly uh, when he makes that announcement. Jesse, is there a precedent to where we are today? I mean, we've got a former president, the front runner to run for, re- I mean, it's just like, you can't make this up. I mean, I've been around politics a long time and I've seen some crazy things. I don't think that I've seen uh, a political party waiting on a former president to decide whether he's going to run or not. So the other dominoes can begin falling. Th- there is no precedent to this, right? Well, I think you're definitely going to see uh, some Republicans you know, show a level of deference if he does announce that he's going to run again. Um, but I also think you're going to see several Republicans launch presidential bids regardless of what Donald Trump does. And so I think that, you know, we've already seen, uh, you know, half a dozen or so uh, Republicans kind of laying the groundwork for uh, their own potential bids, you know, going traveling to early voting states like Iowa and New Hampshire, meeting with state officials, uh, you know, attending those annual GOP gatherings and dinners, um, and a number of them kind of showing the signs that they're are very eager and seriously interested. And in of course, None will likely announce uh, before the midterms. The focus is uh, on the November elections and trying to win back at least one of the chambers of Congress, if not both. Uh, but after then, it's going to be uh, all 2024. And I think you're going to see a big GOP scramble, uh, especially uh, among some of these Republicans who have tried to draw a little bit of a contrast with Trump uh, while trying not to upset uh, Republican voters who still uh, very much uh, support him. Jesse, there, there is, there is. I mean, that last question, not a question, much the commentary. I'd love to get your, your follow-up commentary. I, the national media is trying to convince a lot of Republicans there's a battle for the heart and soul of the Republican Party. They're really hitting. I mean, 66% of America, excuse me, 66% of Republican primary voters identify as America first. And I understand there's five or six other people considering a run or not in this lane, that lane, or another lane. But, but if Trump runs, th- there's just not any room for anybody else. Your, your take on that? Well, I think it's a very kind of tricky situation for these Republicans to navigate. And I think yesterday was a good example 
um, hours before Trump spoke, Mike Pence was also in Washington delivering a speech to a group of young conservatives gathered in, in the nation's capital and trying to draw a little bit of a contrast with Trump, making the case that while uh, they he, they don't disagree on many policy issues, they do dis- may disagree on focus, as he put it, um, and saying that uh, you know, making the case that Republicans should argue about the uh, future, focus on the future and not the past, making an implicit jab at Trump, who, of course, is still talking about the 2020 election uh, and a lot of his uh, kind of political grievances from years old. And so uh, Pence, you know, trying to draw, you know, a little bit of daylight between himself and Trump. Uh, and we've seen some other Republicans kind of take initial take uh, tactics like that as well. Um, you know, making the case that they support a lot of the agenda that Trump has tried to advocate, uh, but trying to, you know, make the case that maybe they're more appealing in some way, maybe more focused uh, on uh, issues as opposed to some of the rhetoric that can be a little bit distracting at times. Thank you, Jesse. Appreciate your call. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Uh, There's a clear illustration. I mean, you're you're looking to be funny now. (laughs) I mean, I I, I tried to, I mean, Jesse is... Uh, he's a senior editor for TheHeal.com. Um, there's never Trump as they come. The reason I got him on the show is because I want you to hear them rationalize somebody has a chance if Trump runs to beat him, and they don't. I mean, they just simply do not. The only candidate that could potentially beat Donald Trump in a Republican primary is Ron DeSantis, and it's too risky for him to take the chance, period. I mean, there, there is no other lane. How is there another lane when, when the founder of a political movement has 66% of the people, how many America firsters are not going to vote for Donald Trump if given an opportunity to vote for Nikki Haley or Mike Pence? I mean, there'll be a handful. I mean, of course, there are exceptions to every rule. But but Trump will dominate the primary if he decides to run and DeSantis does not. And, and I think Robert's exactly right. DeSantis is a smart man. DeSantis is a patient man. You don't wake up one day wanting to be president. You prepare. You methodically prepare for a path that gets you elected. DeSantis knows that if Trump decides to run, there's no sense in challenging him. I mean, maybe DeSantis could beat Trump. I don't think he could, but but I know nobody else can. I mean, there is no way that, that Larry Hogan or Mike Pence or Nikki Haley, I mean, come on. I mean, let's accept you may not like the way things are, but they are as they are. And whether you like Trump or not, I mean, that battle is won. And, and Jesse Burns and a lot of these national media, and this comes to the dominant narrative. See, the narrative is that the Republicans are confused and they're trying to hash out this internal squabble with themselves. The Republican Party, by and large, is, is not any more confused today than it historically has been. I mean, there's always divides in political parties. You've always had an element within the Democratic Party that believes in real liberalism and uber-liberalism and and government control of the economy, socialism and and communism. Um, Every political party, every political situation involves debate and disagreement. But to suggest that Donald Trump is not the front-runner, which is kind of what Jesse did. I mean, it's up for grabs. It's anybody's to win. Hell no, it's not anybody's to win. It's Trump's to lose. And if Trump decides to run and DeSantis does not, it's a no contest. I mean, it's a first-round knockout. Who out there, help me, I mean, help me never, Trumpers, who out there do you believe legitimately has a chance to beat Donald Trump who's not named Ron DeSantis? Me? I mean, I've got as good a chance as they do. I mean, seriously, there is no other lane for anybody. Now, 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 Robert said the Christian conservative could coalesce around Donald Trump. 
The Christian, excuse me, around Mike Pence, the Christian conservative cares what the price of gas is. They love Jesus, of course they do. I mean, they, they're, you know, their salvation is predicated upon the gospel story. But, but some way, somehow, the media believes that the Christian vote has no interest in what the price of gas is, or what a uh, what a dozen eggs cost, or how much a vacation is, or, or you know, school choice. No, the, the Christian conservative cares about a lot of things. I mean, obviously their faith is intertwined in some of their political judgment, but I think it's insulting for some of the national media. And I knew that card would be played. It surprised me that that's early, but but talking about the Christian conservative vote and Mike and Mike Pence, um, I, I just don't see a lane forward. Now, I've been wrong before. I mean, I've been right on some occasions. I've been wrong on some other occasions. But if Donald Trump decides to run in the Republican primary and Mike, excuse me, Ron DeSantis decides not to, which is smart on his part, it's over. I mean, it's who beats Trump in a primary? <laughs> Come on. I mean, really, I understand trying to create a narrative. I understand not wanting to believe something is true. And I think Robert is exactly right. Um, I think he said a better word. I mean, I called him, um, I think Robert's word was risky. I mean, he, he is the most risky candidate the Republicans can ruin. No question. In a general election, Donald Trump, is the most risky candidate we could run. Mike Pence is less risky. Ron DeSantis is less risky. Tom Cotton, less risky. Nikki Haley, less risky. But if Trump decides to run in a primary, and a primary is a, it's an election, but it's really a selecting process. The Republican primary voters select their nominee. The Democrats select their nominee. And then we have a general election where moderates, independents, um, non-affiliates, everybody participates, participates and says, I like this guy better than that one. I like this lady better, better than that one. I just believe personally that if Lake wins in Arizona and Masters wins in Arizona and Cheney loses in Wyoming, that's just further solidification of what I am ascribing to. And that means Trump is light years ahead of anybody else at a primary. And once again, I accept the rationale that he's risky. I do. I mean, I think DeSantis probably is less likely to lose a general election. And Nikki Haley may be less likely to lose a general election, but the Republican primary voter have made their mind up. We don't want you calling yourself an America firster. We want you to really and truly believe in it and enact policies based upon um, that belief. I think Mike Pompeo is an interesting political figure. I think Pompeo believes in some of this. I think as, as, as Trump's Secretary of State, he saw some of the shenanigans of China and had to deal with those up close and personal. I'm not saying that Trump's the only America firster, but if you give America first voters a chance to vote for Donald Trump or some other America firsters, they're going to vote for Donald Trump hands down, and it ain't even close. Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937 is our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. This is Alex in Florence. Good morning, Alex. You're on the air. Hey, good morning, guys. What's going on? Morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, if I could hire my services to a lot of our political people, I would love for them to speak the truth. You guys are trying. You guys are talking about the Christian vote. But we're not talking. We don't. We don't really. We really don't know who those people are. But I do, because I live it every day. We are the turn the other cheek people. 
right? Historically, so the, historically, I would agree with that, yeah. But also, biblically, we're also the eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth kind of people. Right now, you've not seen the good guys in the streets. You've only seen the bad guys in the streets. That's going to change because Christians are somewhere between, and they're conflicted, somewhere between turn the cheek and take the eye. Okay? My belief system has me thinking that my theology has to be in line with my ideology. Okay? We are the people of law. We are the people of God's law. Okay? We're the ones following the rules. Common sense is not as common as it used to be. I wish I could bottle it and sell it because I have an overabundance of it. Okay? I could be a rich man if I could just sell common sense. All right? But it's, it's time to stand up. There's so many Bible verses that talk about standing up for what you believe. And we are at that point. If you're going to defend this country, you have to stand up for what you believe. And that's where Christians are, but they're conflicted. They're sitting somewhere between the cheek and the eye for an eye. And that's going to change as we move forward. I think Trump is going to be a stronger candidate moving forward because he's seen the swamp, and now he knows what he's dealing with. And he'll be a totally different president the second time if he gets in. Okay? So that's kind of where I'm at. Well, that, I'm that's ready. Thank you, Alex. I appreciate well, I mean, that, that's an interesting observation, and I, I totally agree with that. I mean, that was very eloquently said that we're somewhere between, you know, turn the cheek and an eye for an eye. I totally agree with that. And, and I believe this, that if we are going to save this nation and if we're going to stop the decline and, and create an eventual ascent as a great nation, that the Christians will have to revert to an eye for an eye more than they are or have been historically comfortable with see christianity to me and it's i mean you know i'm praying for the nation what are you doing i mean i get praying for a country i mean i pray for my family every day i believe in god i, I believe in the gospel of jesus christ I, I i am a person who lives his life on the fundamental premises of the christian faith um i don't live every moment of my life a lot of you know that. I mean, I, I sin, I fail, I, I fall, I, I do a lot of things I wish I hadn't done, say a lot of things I wish I hadn't said, but but I understand that my salvation, redemption, and rejuvenation is based on um, a theological belief I have about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I want to get preachy here for a second, but I also believe that I have a responsibility to take to the streets if it is required. And I think many Christians today are perplexed with what they've been trained and taught. Pray for the country. Pray for the country. No, pray for the country and pick up a stick every now and then. Pray for the country and grab something to hit somebody in the head with when they insult or assault a nation that is founded and based on Judeo-Christian values. I think that is so accurate, so eloquently said, and so hard for a lot of people to digest. God is not going to fix it unless we try to fix it ourselves. I mean, a lot of Christianity is based on, well, just pray to God. Petition God, and eventually he'll fix everything. No, God requires action. And I think at times God requires more significant action than just saying a prayer for the nation. What are you doing in relation to making um, this nation great again? And I think Trump, you know, who did more? And this is such an interesting phenomenon within American politics. Um, 
Trump doesn't seem to be very devout about theology or religion. I mean, I'm not judgmental. I'm not trying to be judgmental, but it's my job to give an opinion. And and I'm giving an opinion from afar, so take it for what it's worth. But who advanced or who inspired the the Christian fighting spirit like Donald Trump? I just think we got to do more than pray for our nation. We got to pray for our nation and get off our duff and do something. Take a break. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937 is our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Larry in Sumter listening to WDXY. Good morning, Larry. Good morning. How are you doing, Ken? Morning, Larry. How are you? Oh, pretty good, pretty good. I'm going to keep it pretty light this morning, although I have a lot of things I could probably complain about. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, my, my one thing is, I just is it true that the uh, Pulitzer Committee has decided to award a Mr. Elmer Fudd a prize for his documentary on rabbit hunting. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> okay, because I was just curious as to why they, you know, it, it, clearly the story was debunked, but yet people are still holding on to their prize. And yeah. They just came down with a decision that, oh, no, no, it, it was a good story. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Didn't they, didn't that's Trump try to, to Trump tried to get him to uh, reverse the Pulitzer Prize for the people that wrote about the, Russia collusion story, right? Yeah. And they denied. They said, oh, no. Well, I mean, they're they're invested. You know, they're, they're all in. Their intent is to stop Trump. You know, one of the one of the most interesting parts of Trump's potential running for president is all of those who are afraid he's going to win. You know, we're nervous he could lose. I mean, I'll accept that. I mean, I think Trump has a chance to win and a chance to lose. Uh, I, I think it's about equal. I mean, I really and truly, if I, uh, Robert and I talked about this over the weekend, um, I don't want to say it's exactly 50-50, and Robert will tell you, let, let's wait. I mean, let's see some of this data play itself itself out. I think one of the most interesting things Kahaley said in the previous hour was um, the suburban, educated white female. You know, the Trump movement, for whatever reason, kind of freaked those people out. And I'm not a an educated white suburban female, so I, I can't relate. I mean, I don't know what it's like to be an educated white suburban female, but they've historically voted Republican, and since Trump showed up, they have not. And the word that I hear is a little bit dangerous, a little bit unpredictable. Um, uh, just just a little, the MAGA movement is a little bit too aggressive for me to be associated with. And a lot of these things are not spoken. They're felt, that they're in the subconscious. Um, why do you believe, Rev? I'll ask you this. You'd mm-hmm. be interesting to ask. Why do you believe the white suburban female, the white educated suburban female, didn't vote for Trump as they historically voted for other Republicans? Um, the only thing I can think of is is just the bombastic personality, just just too much, too much extra, whatever that is. A little bit, um, a little bit. I don't, dangerous is probably an overstatement, but just um different Un- unpredictable unpredictable you know, would be a good wild word and crazy um, a little bit wild and crazy um just somebody i can't quite get comfortable with um what robert is insinuating i would even say unstable uh could be a a perception well i mean the media try to lead you to believe he's, yeah. he's he's unstable i mean he no tell of what he might say or what he might do and, and some of that's true i mean there's beauty in that i mean there's there's a lot of beauty in being unpredictable and and you know your your political opponent not being able to decipher exactly what it is you're going to do after um, after something happens and you're forced to, to respond. But I want to go back to something Robert said, because this is very interesting to me. Robert hadn't told me this. Um, 
that that college educated white female voter who's historically voted Republican gave the Democrat a chance and look at what they've done with it. Wow. As dangerous and unpredictable as Trump may be, I sure felt more secure. I mean, when I filled my suburban up with gas, it didn't cost $150. When when I carried my kid to softball practice, I didn't worry about somebody hitting me in the head with a, you know, with a book and and taking my wallet or my pocketbook in this case. Um that's kind of an interesting dynamic. So so to me, here here's the data points. I mean, Robert kind of said this, the two data points I'd pay close attention to is the Hispanic migration real. I mean, is this a one-off, a blurb? Is this some um, statistical anomaly? Or are the Hispanics, the Catholic Hispanics in particular, really and truly pledging a certain degree of sustained loyalty to the, to the Republican Party? We don't know that yet. It's kind of a, uh, it's a recent phenomenon, but it looks like that there's kind of some solid footing here. Catholic Hispanics voting Republican. Is that going to sustain and hold? And do the Republican, do, do the Republican educated suburban female come back home? That that's really interesting. Doesn't matter what Trump says. I mean, a lot of this is on the Democrat. If the Democrats want government funded abortion, third trimester, if they defund the police, some of these radical positions the Democrats have held, it doesn't matter if it's Trump or not. That's where Trump gains by default. Um, the suburban female. I don't like Trump, but but he didn't want to defund the police. You know, he didn't want a, a woman to be allowed to have an abortion third trimester and government funded. Um, so I'll hold my nose and vote for Trump. Uh, th- those are two subsets of the electorate that I'd be real sensitive of and pay close attention to. Let's go to the phone. Here's Davis and Sumter listening to WDXY. Good morning, Davis. Good morning. Ken, did you see that uh, Fox did a piece on the high price of Bruce Springbreen tickets? <laughs> I did. There's been a lot of articles that people have forwarded to me and news stories that people have. Um, I think they got a smile on their face when they sent it to me. Look at what your boy's doing. <laughs> it's like the old Jerry Reed song. Uh, he got the gold mine and his fans got the shaft. Yeah, I can relate. I can certainly <laughs> relate, Davis. But uh, speaking of Trump, I think, in my mind, the biggest unknown is I think the Democrats are going to try to do all they can to get some sort of indictment or legal positioning that will make Trump look bad or tie him up in some ways that it's going to cost him, uh, maybe not personally, but with uh, the voter. And I think that's that's an unknown that we're going to have to keep an eye on. Thank you, Davis. Well explained. Appreciate the um, the Springsteen jab. I've been um, a receiver, recipient of many of those here uh, recently. Um <laughs> The, the Trump, I mean, it's interesting. It's so interesting that when he becomes topical, that the conversation includes so many different takes and opinions. Um, and I think you, you, Trump could be the next president and Trump could lose. Uh, he's not going to lose the primary. Uh, despite what Jesse uh, Burns at TheHill.com says, The Hill uh, senior editor says, Trump's not going to lose the Republican. But if Trump runs and the Republican primary and loses, I, I don't need to be doing this. Because I don't know as much about politics as I've let me, let me uh, give professed you a, to know. A general election matchup and get your thoughts. Trump, Buttigieg. Trump, Trump. Um, I, I'm thinking about the Democrat that scares me. I mean, is there anybody out there? I think DeSantis is our best candidate. I mean, I think a lot of Trump voters believe that. I think he's less flawed 
I don't think he brings as much baggage, but he's not the force of nature. I mean, he's a he's a competent, shrewd, aggressive politician. And Buttigieg, I just asked that because that, he seems to be the one that the Democrats are, are putting out there to be the next. They're looking. The next guy. I mean, they're they're trying. They're, they're trying their best to find but he's somebody. Kind of the opposite of Trump, too. Well, I mean, and they'll run in these, a lot of ways. Well, I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, he's a um, he's someone who is a, a man of very little accomplishment. I mean, really, whether you like Trump or not, you can't argue. He's a, I mean, Trump's a man of accomplishment. He's a man of controversy. He's a man of a, of a thousand different opinions, thousand different stances. Um, I think the the interesting part of this to me is the loyal Trump supporter refusing to find flaws. I mean, that, I'm not saying that's cultist, but that gets a bit weird to me. I mean, I am a loyal Trump supporter. I'm on the record. I don't know of a media outlet that made public their support of Trump earlier than Wake Up Carolina. I mean, do you? I mean, I, no. I don't know of anybody who put themselves out there as early as we did, and we had some pushback. I mean, some sponsors sure we were did. like, whoa, 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 that's crazy. You got Jeb Bush, Marco Rubio, Chris Christie, Carly Fiorina. You got a lot of people to choose from. You don't have to go down that road. Yeah, why would you even say something but, but like that? But you and I collectively um, kind, of, kind of sensed that something was going, uh, there was going to be some energy that got behind that campaign that, that led it to a place of being highly competitive. I don't know if I ever said he's going to win this. Now, there was a moment in time that I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt. I mean, this is over. I'll tell you the moment that I knew Trump had the GOP eating out of his hand, literally and figuratively, is when the candidates stood there and compared size of their hands on a presidential debate on national television. I mean, that's when I knew. Because the redeeming political skill Donald Trump has, trust me on this, all of us have um, the good points and the bad points. The redeeming political skill that Donald Trump has is the ability to turn everything in to a gutter fight or a street fight or a brawl. And, and when, when candidates running for president are standing there looking at their hands, that, that's when I, I, this is over. I mean, they, you know, this is over because they have, I don't want to say stooped his level, but they've, they've, they've accepted the invitation to the street fight that they have zero chance of winning. Chris Christie thought he was a brawler. You know what I mean? Nobody thought Jeb Bush was a brawler. Nobody thought Rand Paul was a brawler. Nobody thought Marco Rubio was a brawler. But but some people thought Chris Christie was oh, a yeah. brawler. He was a New Jersey sure, tough guy. Tough guy. You know, and a uh, former prosecutor and puts bad people in jail. I'm going to take until Trump from gets there. Until Trump gets there. And he takes all that out of the room. <laughs> um, you're not a brawler. I still think Christie likes Trump, and I think Trump likes Christie. I still buy that. I think Christie saw a way to make money and get paid and stay politically relevant. I told you a while back, Rev, toward the end of last year, I had a Republican operative call me and ask me to kind of fly a test balloon on Chris Christie, and I did. I mean, I went to my universe of 30 or 40 political donors and what I'd call insiders, and nobody, and I mean nobody, had an interest in Chris Christie. They all don't love Trump. You know, it's about half and half of Trump, but nobody had an interest in Chris Christie, and I think the reason that people like Christie are going to have problems is they've tried to be both. They've tried to be both establishment and America first. And that's a, that's a, there's a loyalty within the establishment that is unrivaled, except when you talk about the energy within the, um, the America first movement. And at the end of the day, that's kind of what we're dealing with. How loyal and intense is the energy in the establishment and how loyal and intense is the energy in the America First movement, and I think it's in the America First movement without question. Let's go to the phone. Jim in Florence. Good morning, Jim. Hey, good morning, guys. So 
as we think about the Democratic Party, I mean, would you all agree that they're kind of pushing that that moderate uh, uh, classical Democrat um, out of the party right now? Yes. Yes. So without if question. They're, if they're, so if they're doing that and we're thinking about who they're going to pick in a in a potential Democrat primary for president, if they're pushing that that atypical Democrat out, the Democrats that probably most of you all used to be, um, as they're pushing that Democrat out, are they really going to pick a Buttigieg or a Biden or, uh, you know, a, a Democrat of yesteryear? Or are they going to pick a left wing nut job, um, which could be incredibly beneficial to the right? Uh, I think that's something to think about as that primary plays out is that, uh, yes, they get to kind of pick who they want, um, but that they may not necessarily have the choice to pick a, a middle-of-the-road Democrat like they did with Joe Biden. Do you think Buttigieg is middle-of-the-road, Jim? I think he certainly appeared – well, today, yes. I mean, you know, five years ago, absolutely yeah. not. But today, yes. Um, when I think about, you know, crazy Democrats, I think of the, the squad – um, I think they stand a better chance of getting the nomination than Buttigieg does with the state of the Democrat primary voter. I mean, because that's the thing. You have to think about the, dem- the the Democrats that show up to the polls for a primary are going to be much more left-wing than your atypical Democrat that shows up in November. Agree. Agree. That's kind of an interesting – Buttigieg, okay. That, I got you now. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate the call. Um, so if – if Buttigieg is kind of the crossroads, in other words, progressive enough, maybe, um, status quo enough, maybe, um, let's fly that balloon and see how it, uh, see how it's accepted by the majority of, now, now Buttigieg has one thing going for him. Trust me, guys, he's married to a man. I mean, that, that matters. I mean, in their circles, that matters. That's almost like a, that's a credential, you know? Um, yeah, I served in the war, but I also married a dude. So you can't um, you can't not vote for him because I'm a veteran because I married a guy. You know I think Buttigieg is is kind of the he's probably the most interesting potential candidate they have, and I think Jim may have kind of landed there. Um, he's where the 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 status quo ends and this 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 progressive movement. Now, I don't think anybody accuses Buttigieg of being bat crap crazy. I mean I don't. I mean I don't think he's a bat crap crazy liberal Republican. I think he's a liberal Democrat. I said Republican. I meant Democrat. When well, I think he's a liberal Democrat, but I don't think he's a, a AOC or a you know Talib or somebody else. Bernie Sanders. Um, he says things at time that appear to be measured. Um, obviously, the green energy in the Department of he's Transportation Secretary, so he's having to deal with a lot of this green energy and electric cars, and that makes him to you and I appear to be real, real, real extreme liberal. Um, and he's you know he's a gay man with a husband. I mean, if if you're a, a Republican in South Carolina. A gay man with a husband, kind of, you know, that 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 leads you to believe he's probably more liberal than you are. Um, but but where do the Democrats go? See, I think the Republicans are in a better position when it comes to option A, B, or C. I think option A, well, I mean, I personally, and, and I know some of you disagree with me, I think option A is Trump be kingmaker and DeSantis the candidate. I mean, to me, that's the best. I mean, if you if, if I had... You know, the keys to the keys of the kingdom. And somebody said, okay, you get to make the call. Trump, you're going to be kingmaker emeritus. We're never going to supplant you. You will be the center of attention. You will be the master of the universe in choosing who gets to do what 
but you're not going to run for office. I mean, that, that would be my preference for Donald Trump. Um, DeSantis as the nominee would be my preference for, for the Republican Party. And then you've got the Tom Cottons, the Josh Hawleys, the J.D. Vance, maybe Blake Masters, maybe not. Um, those sorts of personalities kind of become more prominent within the ranks of the party. But who's the leader of the Democrat Party today? I mean, it's Barack Obama. But 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 Obama has, I mean, he's a liberal. I mean, he's an absolute liberal. And when, as Jim said, when they go to the primaries, the extreme liberal element of the prime, the 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 most progressive voters are going to participate in the Democrat primary. the The Buttigieg candidacy may not get the favor of the most aggressive. Um, will Will anybody? Let's ask this. Will anybody? be um, rambunctious enough is to run against Biden. Let's say that Biden agrees he's going to run. And Obama kind of blesses it. You know, we can't do any better than Joe. Joe sucks, <laughs> but we can't do any better than Joe. Does every Democrat take that and, and shut up and sit down? No, I, I mean, absolutely not. That there is no way. Um, somebody sees this as a political yeah, opportunity. There's too much weakness. You, you, and, and it's too much opportunity. I mean, you're right. There's weakness there, but the weakness presents opportunity. So there's somebody like Gavin Newsom saying, I don't care what Barack says. I mean, I don't care what the DNC says. I don't care what the big donors say. I mean, this is my chance. This is my chance to be the Democrat nominee, and I'm not going to let donors and, and party officials and a, and a former president insist or require me to sit idly by and let this, this guy, who, who all of us know doesn't have any business being president, tries to continue a second term as president. It's just kind of a unique situation and set of circumstances that we're dealing with. And I've tried to find uh, so some some comparison that there's nothing close to where we are today uh, when it comes Never to presidential. Just, not just, not that I can come up yeah, with. I can't think. I mean, of it. you know, and you've got you've got a you've got a political you've got the leader of the free world, the president of the United States, who the majority of Americans believe has a serious cognitive issue. About, I'm talking about, I didn't say the majority of Republicans. The majority of Americans, 57%, believe that Joe Biden is in significant cognitive decline. So you combine that with a former president, you know, on the periphery, deciding whether or not he's going to run. That That's a, I mean, that's kind of a, a Hollywood script, so to speak. And then you've got a, a DeSantis waiting to see whether or not it makes sense this time. If Trump runs, it makes no sense, zero sense. And still, my dream team is still Trump and DeSantis is his running mate. But that's too risky for I, DeSantis. I know, you, I know you've said but that. But that's too risky for DeSantis if you're playing chess. Yep. I mean, if we're playing checkers and, and say I to hell you. with it. I you know. hear you, but I think, you know, what would be a great team for the country? Can you imagine those guys if they were running the things? <laughs> that, that would be interesting. Um, <laughs> but you're right. I mean, I, I, I hear what you're saying, and I can't disagree with because that. Because Trump just, can lose. And if Trump loses and DeSantis is his running mate, hurt he DeSantis. loses. And DeSantis is a rising star who doesn't need to lose. There's never a good time to lose. Take a break. Back in a minute. Yeah, you know, chaos and confusion leads to failure. I mean, that's the word I think of. When I think of the Biden administration, failure comes to mind. I mean, it's been an abject failure. There's nothing positive that has come from this administration. Um, I mean, they were handed some issues. I mean, covid was still prevalent. I don't know if you saw this or not, but um, Deborah Burks basically said in her memoir that they misled intentionally. I want to get this quote. Bear with me one second here, mm-hmm. a second. Uh, let me get my Schofield text off. 
got some tax-free uh yeah tax-free week starts a week early at schofields okay. just got my text notification here but i want to do this real quick <laughs> good timing on here, here you go dr deborah burks former white house coronavirus um response coordinator and this is in her book that she's written um called silent what's it called uh dr burke's new book Let's see what it is right up anyway um i knew these vaccines were not going to protect against infection and i think we overplayed the vaccines and it made people then worry that it's not going to protect against severe disease and hospitalizations it will but let's be very clear 50 percent of the people who died from the omicron surge were older vaccinated people so she is basically admitting confessing that they knew the vaccines were not going to protect as they were telling us they would but they did it anyway i mean that's pretty bizarre to me to make that admission um but i guess your book's got to be interesting there's got to be some revelation in there that forces people to go out and buy it or talk about it um get invited to a talk show or a, or a television show but um you know I, I, we've reduced the vaccine debate we touched on it a bit yesterday the vaccine we now know despite what we were told we now know it doesn't stop infection we know it doesn't stop the carrying of the virus we know it doesn't stop the the spreading of the virus but it doesn't turn you into spider-man i mean that's kind of what we reduced um and fauci would probably say today i'm tired of these white wing trump supporting conservatives saying that it'll turn you into spider-man because it won't Remember when we confronted uh, Fauci, I'm not talking about we, but as a group of resistors, we said, I don't buy what you're selling. And all he did was call us conspiracy theorists and uh, basically Neanderthal, NASCAR fans, knuckle draggers, you know, not smart enough to understand the science behind the vaccine. I mean, I can remember one moron with a radio show said, it seems to me like two people, uh, there are going to be two kind of people when all this is said and done. Those that have had COVID, those that will get COVID, eventually everybody will have had COVID. Um, it seems to me that's kind of where we are, or real close to that point. Here's the fair debate. Would we have been better off without the vaccine? I mean, I'm not trying to be provocative. I'm not trying to be mm. sensational. Would we have been better off if we had allowed the vaccine to take its course? It would have killed who it's going to kill. It would have made sick who it's going to make sick. But the majority of us would have natural immunity which has proven to be far more effective at keeping us safe and healthy than the vaccine. Would we as a nation, serious question, would we have been better off if we never got the vaccine? How long would we have shut the economy down? How much more money would we have printed? We talk about monetary policy in the Fed. What all would we have done? So the previous callers, yeah, it's chaos, unbelievable chaos, but I think it's a continuation of abject failure. The name of Dr. Burks's book is Silent Invasion. Silent Invasion. There the, you go. The untold story of the Trump administration, COVID-19, and preventing the next pandemic before it's too late. Good deal. That's kind of an interesting point. Uh, the harder you work, um, maybe not the more money you make, but the harder you work and the longer you pay in, um, there should be some sort of reward at the end of the rainbow. I mean, I, you get a little more money if you wait later to get the benefit. Um, I mean, I, I, the first thing you need to do with Social Security is make it a transferable asset. I mean, I believe that here, here. Uh, you create wealth. Uh, in other words, I don't have to wait. If I work all, if let's say I work, I mean, I, I've got a plan. I'll tell you my plan. You ready? Here's my plan. Um, I like spending money and I've calculated that I can't spend money like I want to if I stop working. I mean, this is, that's my retirement plan. If, if, if I get to a place where I don't like spending as much money and doing the things I enjoy doing, 
then I could probably cut back and not work as much. But I'm convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that for me to continue to live in a way that I want to live, I didn't say have to live because I don't have to live a certain way, but the way I desire to live requires X number of dollars. And I'm going to have to work. And, and I've kind of accepted that. I haven't embraced it, but I've accepted that. Um, and then the good Lord, you know, I've got good health and I've got a sound mind so far. Uh, that could change today or tomorrow. But um, I, I just think some of us are so consumed by, you know, stopping work. I mean, if you've got a job, in my humble opinion, that you hate that much, find something else to do. Don't worry as much about retiring as just finding something else to do. Um, the grind is rewarding as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Rip's looking at me like, I don't know if I agree with you here or not. <laughs> I get when you get older that you want to go do things and enjoy your, and I, and I certainly you're entitled to some degree of that, but, but I, I've just never understood how someone wants an extended period of time with no work in their life. And, and once again, if you've got a lot of money, you can do it when you choose to do it. If you've got some money, you kind of got to figure it out. If you don't have any money, then you just, you know, get that social security check and uh, live on, you know, the, the just small rations and do the best you can. Um, but, but I think we need to take the, the social security program and, and allow that benefit. In other words, the money that the, the guy said he put in at 13 years old, that money should belong to him. It shouldn't be um, in, in some retirement account somewhere that he can't access. Let, let's hypothetically say that the caller's got uh, a total of – I mean, if he put money in that long and it drew 7 or 8% interest and he's got a million dollars, that million should belong to him, not the government. And the government shouldn't give him the dividend and keep the principal or, or keep the um, ah, the principal. That's what you'd call it. Uh, that, that should be his money to do with whatever he chooses to do with when he retires. Leave it to your kids. Give it to your church. Give it to the of the game. That's your call. That's your decision. You work that long. You deserve that lump sum, and that creates wealth. Because we talk about a lot of the income inequality in America, and a lot of it is this this, this wealth, you know, the, the wealth difference in America. Um, the wealthy are getting wealthier, and, and those who aren't wealthy are struggling. And I think the way you alleviate some of that struggle is to allow the caller to basically have ownership of that nest egg instead of the government saying, hey, we'll send you a check. Thank you for working 50 years. We'll send you a check for twenty five hundred a month, but but that money. I mean, what if he lives a year? I mean, what if the caller lives a year? What happens to all that investment he made in his retirement? His kids don't benefit. His wife does with a spousal benefit. We've got to change that. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've got to radically right. reform. And here's the problem, Rev. Here we go: the alignment, misalignment, the things that are so broken in America. The the government advantage and the corporate interest. Some I mean, of the corporate interest of the government. Those in charge. The misalignment is misaligned to their advantage. And the realignment puts the government in a worse position, puts corporate America in a worse position, puts the American working class. Um, what if you knew? How, how different would you feel this morning about your financial state if you knew you had a, um, a retirement account with a million dollars in it? A lot. Well, you'd feel a tremendous, you'd feel like empowered. That's right. I mean, you'd feel like, okay, I have done something here. I mean, I've worked all my life, and the government took my money, but we've invested the money. They made a 6 or 7% return. So when I decide at 60, 70, 75, whatever, 80, I mean, I know people 80 still going to work every day, and they're very happy going to work every day. But, but that gives you the luxury and option of not 
I mean, it, it makes me it makes me almost nauseous to see someone say, and here you go with condition to conformity. Um, I'm going to get an eight percent increase in in um Social Security benefit. You know, I, I, because of inflation and because of some some legislation passed, I'll, I'm all of a sudden instead of getting twenty three hundred, I'm getting twenty five hundred. But you've worked fifty years. You've worked 50 years, and you're waiting on the government to say when and how much of your money you can get back. Well, we've got to change that. And, you know, the employers made to match the employee's part. I mean, those who don't run a business, you don't know it, but it's not just, what, eight and a quarter percent of whatever it is with the, the Social Security and the Medicare. I mean, it's seven point, it's nearly eight percent. I think it's nearly eight percent. Um, your employer's matching that eight percent as well. So, so what if your employer... Instead of giving the government your money, what if he gave you that money that you rightfully deserve and 16% of your income for every year you've ever worked was put up somewhere? I mean, that creates wealth, and, and that empowers people. And I just believe that the government does not want an empowered public. They don't. The government would much rather have you dependent upon them giving you what they think you deserve. The last thing the government wants is 25 or 30 or 40 or 50 million working men and women having a, a nest egg of a million, million and a half dollars. I mean, that's empowerment. They would rather have you dependent. That's generational, life-changing sure. I mean, uh, wh- wealth what? for families. All of a sudden, you've got a kid or two kids. For a regular working and, family. Yeah, and you, you, you and your wife together have worked, you know, 100 years or 75 years. She's worked 30 or 40. You've worked. 30 or 40 and and your life is reduced to what the government's going to give you at the end 2300 1800 2700 no you should have a nest egg i mean you work they took your money your employer matched that money where did that money go goes to the government what's the government do with it what they want to do with it and now it takes young workers to pay for the old workers to retire and i just think you've got to privatize the system so dave baker at the age of 70 or whatever it is when he calls it quits that, that money is his. He is empowered by a financial uh, independence that, that he never imagined he'd have. But instead, I had to work on my retirement plan a little bit yesterday when I bought my Mega Millions ticket, and I did not win the $810 million, just for the record. That's a lot of money. It's over a billion today, I think. I think so. But I think we saw this morning, it's already over but I tried. $1 billion. <laughs> what would you do? I mean, after taxes, you're end up with $400 million. What in the world would you do with four hundred? million dollars like to find like out to, any damn thing i want to do is, <laughs> is what i would do Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is the number let's go to the phone a couple of callers are there here's david in the pd good morning david hey how you doing uh this is a good show man uh, i was thinking back in the day again when you were at walford elon college they were called the fighting christians well you we can't have that no more uh i guess uh that alex murdoch listen to the 911 call and See if you can hear. I think he says Alex Murdoch. Uh, the media would love to have Gavin Newsom's ex-wife versus Trump's son's girlfriend, fiance. They would love that. That that's the same person. Uh, just just comment on things you said today. Uh, can you said men are jeeps and women are Ferraris? Earlier. That's a weird analogy, but that's kind of. I'll stand by that comment. Okay. Well, let's. Be America first. At least be like some of these musical songs. Let's call them a Corvette or a Mustang. Now, I, I'll say that they're more like SUV. A lot of women are they multitask. I give them credit. But getting back to Kahaley, 
you talk about Philadelphia and Atlanta, um, the baseball game, uh, those towns are very similar. We wouldn't think it back in the day, but uh, Philly is like 82% vote Democrat. If you go to uh, Fulton County, 72% vote Democrat. To Cab County, 83% vote Democrat. It's unbelievable how that, that has changed. And when you deal, if you're Herschel Walker or Dr. Oz, you got to deal with that. You're, you're in a huge deficit. And, and Kahaley's right. I think he said something about suburban women or that that's where the, the battleground is in these states. So if you're going to do some polling, do some polling in, in some of these suburban counties, and because because uh, you'll find out what is the margin of losing in some of these bigger counties like Fulton and Philadelphia. See what Herschel and Dr. Oz is doing there. But you're going to win in these suburban counties. So I'll leave you at that. You have a good day. Thank you, David. Robert pushed back hard on that Herschel Walker polling. I mean, he didn't even let me. I mean, he corrected me quickly and said there is no good polling on that race. I mean, we've got polling on Kemp, but but when everybody says that Walker's trailing Kemp. By, you know, I've said that because, I mean, the polling says that. Robert says there is no good polling. And he called some guy's name who's in the field now and will have good data by the end of the week as it relates to Walker. I want Herschel to win. I mean, I really want Herschel to win, not just because he's a Republican from Georgia, but he's one of my football heroes. So I'm a little bit um, double whammied by my support of Herschel Walker. Let's go to the phone. Ashley in Poston's Corner. Hello, Ashley. Good morning, guys. Um I, I agree with you, Ken. Um, I think that uh, in a perfect world, uh, Donald Trump would be the kingmaker. Um, he would be the guy that sits on the sideline and endorses somebody. He would still be responsible for a, a, a great movement in America, and he could hang his hat on that. Um, he's got one term left. He's got so much baggage. They're going to try and get him any way possible. If it was up to me, and it's not, I would go DeSantis, VP pick, Tim Scott. I think that would be enough of a bridge. Uh, uh, moderates, uh, African-Americans, uh, American firsters, that it would it would be probably the biggest trouncing you can get. Now, I think the Democrats' dream ticket that they think they need is Gavin Newsom, and his VP pick would be uh, interracial uh, transgender unicorn that identifies as AOC. Uh, you got me there, yeah. Ashley. Thank you for the call. <laughs> Appreciate it. Look, uh, you know, everybody has an opinion of Trump. And I, and I respect all those opinions. Carl and I have been arguing all morning, you know, about what Trump is and what he ain't and what he believes and what he doesn't believe and how the public perceives him to be. I just think Trump gives you a chance to lose. And I think if the economy stays soft, and I think Biden's done. I mean, there's nothing. I mean, gas can go down. The economy can get better. Biden's done. I mean, you don't get a second chance to make a first impression, and he's never appeared to be up for the job. Combine that with bad economic news. We'll get bad news today and tomorrow, I'll predict. Uh, the Fed is going to raise rates probably 75 basis points. Tomorrow, the Commerce Department will report probably negative 1.6 or 7 or 8. GDP uh, that technically is a, is a recession, despite what the Biden administration is trying to say. But but I still think Trump can lose. I mean, I'm voting for Trump. I'm supporting Trump, but there's a chance he could lose. I don't think there's a chance that DeSantis loses. Let's go to the phone real about, quick. About thirty seconds, Jeremy, you're on. 
The way to solve the problem of Social Security is to give the money to Nancy Pelosi's husband and allow him to trade it. <laughs> He'll be rich. Yeah, he's got that inside information. <laughs> that, that helps, right? And she doesn't apologize. Thank you for the call. Appreciate the bit of sarcasm there as we conclude this edition of Wake Up Carolina. We'll take a break. We may or may not be back, depending on what time, uh, how time allots, but we'll, we'll take our final break and then see.